If you gave me a million years to ponder, I would have never guessed that podcasting and my taste in films would ever go together. And to this day, the podcast that follows seems like a distant dream. But that podcast was real and was to change our lives forever. Or at least for two hours while we talk about the movie. I kept asking Brian why our world seemed to be collapsing and everything seemed so shitty. And he'd say, that's the way it goes. But don't forget, it goes the other way too. That's the way podcasting is. Usually, that's the way it goes. But every once in a while, it goes the other way too. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched. That's not true. (laughs) Uh, For the millionth time ever, (laughs) I watched True Romance. I'm going to talk about it. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Attention Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, normally watch movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. But today is a very special episode on multiple levels. Not only do we have a first-time guest, but we're also doing a weird episode where I've seen the movie, he's seen the movie. We're just going to talk about it because we both love the movie. Uh, And I'm excited to talk about it because it's like maybe my favorite movie of all time. Uh, So... Let's get the guest introduced, though. Why am I rambling so much? Uh, Bron Theron is on the show. Is that how you say your last name? Yes. Uh, you say it like uh, Charlize Theron. Uh, Bron oh. Theron. Yep. No relation? Uh, no relation, unfortunately, <laughs> no. Actually, in, in real life, uh, Theron is my middle name. I just use that as my stage name. So yeah, That's memorable. It was yeah. funny. When you gave me your email, I was like, Bron the Ron. The Ron. This is, this is easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a porno name. That's for sure. <laughs> But I assure you, I have not performed any pornos. Under that name. Not recently. Not recently. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's exciting to have you. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, we met. Weirdly, uh, uh, you were an extra on the set of a film I was ADing. And uh, I I, I found out, I I didn't even find out until after the fact that you had like flown in to do the role and stuff. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, I'm glad that all worked out. Cause that guy was super solid. Uh, and yeah. he was super fun to work with. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I, hopefully you had a good time on the set. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> no, I loved it. Uh, we did a fight scene and, um, you know, yeah, it was a small role, a uh, few lines, but, uh, I think it was more for the fight scene, which was the importance of whatever I was doing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had a great time. And, you know, Tony, the director, had me come back and do some other stuff. So uh, cast and crew was pretty great on that project. Yeah, it was it was cool. That scene that you did with Ryan, uh, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen any of that. I've seen uh, like a rough cut of the first 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't show up until like later when they're laying out the certain reason why the fight scene's happening. I guess I won't spoil it. Uh, but I, I'm excited to see how that cuts together because <laughs> you guys, you guys went for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We were flipping and stuff like that. And, uh, <laughs> man, you've seen the 30 first 30 minutes. I I'm trying to get a trailer from Tony just so I could play it, you know, for my screening for the film oh, I mean, that I'm it's, doing. There, it's the, when I say I've seen the first 30 minutes, I have seen the roughest 30 minutes you've ever seen in your life. Uh, uh <laughs> he's, uh, he's also incredibly busy. I believe literally as I'm talking, they could his wife is due for a baby yes i know uh, yeah he's actually gearing up for another film too 
Yeah, yeah. He's uh, so. a busy man. I understand. <laughs> I keep, People keep asking, like, when is the Undesirables coming out? And I'm like, ah, next year, probably, I think. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people realize how long it takes to make a movie. Uh, every yeah. time I shoot something, some that's the first question people ask. Oh, when is it coming out? And it's like, uh, I don't know. You know, it takes a long time. <laughs> exactly. They don't realize that. So well, I'd love I, to I ask you. Be... I'd love to ask you more about that. Like huh? what? Um, I obviously met you as an actor, but now yeah. that I, we're friends and I've seen like your stuff online, you're very involved in the filmmaking process yourself. And right. I'd love to hear a how that's going and what you've got going on. But B, I'd love to hear your journey into that as well. Like what got you into it? Um. Wow. Well, you know. The journey's a long story. The project <laughs> that I got going on right now is a short story. Um, we are working on a feature film called Half Dead Fred. It's a mm -hmm. film noir, thriller, horror, paranormal. Yeah. Uh, taking place in Flint, Michigan. And um, it stars Corin Nemec, uh, Tiffany Shepis, Jason London, Michael C. Jordan, a few other people. Um, great cast. Uh, and uh, it's a story about a medium detective who goes from California to Flint, Michigan to solve a murder case and find a treasure. So that's kind of like the opposite of Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> They're going. Yeah. Going to Michigan instead of uh, Michigan, <laughs> which is ironic because the movie we're going to discuss today, True Romance, is a story about going from Michigan to California. Yeah, That's a great point. And mm -hmm. from Detroit to uh cali that's that's interesting <laughs> yeah yeah it's and i and i realized i like michigan movies you know like uh evil yeah. dead evil dead 2 <laughs> you know those are michigan based uh you know there's a lot of michigan stuff that i i never realized in my head but apparently i have a tie to michigan yeah the real the real like canadian border northern states they really do have a different feel to them uh just like the they're they're like kind of midwestern but kind of canadian but kind of like mm -hmm. uh I, I think of things like like north dakota like fargo and stuff like that like oh right. what you what you talking about <laughs> like they're right. almost talking like in canadian accents and stuff it's like, like a that. different country yeah yeah uh so is that is just that the only reason why you were did you write the movie or are you are you producing so, it or yeah i wrote and directed the film oh um, wow you directed it too that's awesome yeah, I direct a lot of stuff. Uh, mostly I'm behind camera. Uh, I only do, uh, you know, acting stuff when I get lucky, um, <laughs> you know, or push myself in one of the two. But um, yeah, I, I'm usually behind the camera writing the stories, editing. I do a lot of uh, posts and stuff like that on projects. But uh, as do the life of an indie filmmaker. Oh, I, yeah. It's like yeah. I do uh, everything. Everything. Like, yep. <laughs> I'm able to do everything. Yes. Most things. I'm not a colorist and I don't do sound. Color is fucking hard, man. It's yeah. So yeah. Hard. Mm -hmm. I got a guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Maybe I'll have to get his name from you because I could honestly use the help. Uh, by the way, you can say fuck and shit and cunt and all that stuff. Oh, good. It's fine. I didn't yeah. realize I just dropped out. I keep having new guests on, and then like 40 minutes in, they'll be like, can I cuss? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, please, please. <laughs> yeah, it's the internet, not public access TV. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, exactly. so, um, yeah, I do a lot of things. Um, I always, That's awesome. always wanted to act, though. I mean, who doesn't? Acting is probably the easiest and funnest part of the whole journey because you wake up, you come to set, and you just play all day, right? And then you go home, and everybody else does their post, right? And they take months, yeah. years 
on working on this film. And you just showed up for that day or two days. You know? <laughs> so I love acting. Acting's uh, the shit, you know? If, yeah, that aspect you know? of it is cool. And like, I like making little skits and stuff. I'll like, I'll like do dumb shit on camera, but I don't know. I, I do. I have like so much respect for actors. And I also, I just recently did an episode with an actor friend of mine and, you know, the when you're trying to do full time acting, having to constantly put yourself out there and audition and yeah. deal with like your face and being judged and all this crazy shit and like the right. all, all that stuff, like the life of an actor, like you're when you get the gig and you you show up and you are on a good movie with good people and you get to just play all day. I'm sure that that part is what we're all striving for. And I'm right, sure right. even as a director, you feel the same where it's like when you're on set and I'm doing the thing, that's when we're thriving. But then it's like. Now I've got uh, hours of footage I need to comb through and do all this. <laughs> like post has always been a big uh, hang up of mine. I literally think I have. I wish I could stop saying this in episodes because I've been saying this for multiple episodes and have done nothing about it. But I have like five short films in post production right now. Uh, oh, it's wow. not good. There's no reason no. why they should all be still in post production. But I just no. Uh, you gotta I love start shooting. to get cracking. You get cracking, <laughs> Jake. What's going on here? <laughs> I have a podcaster on. No, it's bad. <laughs> I, I need to. I need to get on top of it. Uh, I just. I'm a slow editor. Um, mm. Both with my writing and my editing, I'm. I never really thought of myself as a perfectionist, but I guess I must be because one of my biggest hangups when I edit is I, I get bogged down in trying to make every little frame perfect, mm. and it makes the process so slow when I should just be cobbling together a rough assembly and then honing it down from there, I'll, I'll spend like two hours on like one cut and I'm just like, fuck. Uh, and then I get overwhelmed by how much there is to do. It's like a whole, it's a mental thing. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Do you find your process to be fairly smooth or? Um, I don't know if smooth is the word. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just super determined. I'm just super, um, you know, motivated to get things done. Uh, you know, I, I understand um, that I don't think anything's perfect. There's nothing perfect. Sure. It's just you have to put it together to the best of your ability and you have to get the ball rolling. You, you'll learn from every film, but you have to complete the film. You know what I mean? And then you mm -hmm. look at it and you're like, okay, I like this. I didn't like this. This is where this department fell short. This is where I fell short. You know, like I'm super brutally honest with every aspect of filmmaking. And at the end of the day, uh, I just want to make stuff and I, I need to make it and I need to make it in. You know, I, if I had five uh, <laughs> projects sitting around, I think that would fuck with me more than anything else because I need to get them done. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Like I yeah. hate leaving anything undone. It, maybe that's a the opposite side of like a disorder what's <laughs> like a well no i mean i i think i think that's the kind of attitude prolific people need to have uh yeah. and i my wildly respect it like i i used to i used to be someone who was like i get stuff done and i just think lately i've fallen into a rut where mm. i think i secretly worry that the, some of the projects i've pushed to the side like aren't as good as i want them to be so i just go hey if i just don't work on them then they'll never be bad uh but you're so right i love that mm. attitude of like Look, not everything's ever going to be perfect. Uh, no. You just have to. I like the way you phrased it. You just do the best you can. That's such like a good. It's like an attitude that I hope maybe I can start implementing into my own life because I think that's a great way to look at things. Uh, 
it's just like, yeah this isn't this isn't the jake therapy hour though i am curious uh <laughs> um so you directed a lot is it have you made a lot of features a lot of shorts or what kind of stuff um so i have done a few features i did Damn, one wow. s- one scripted <laughs> technically feature it was like a mockumentary uh movie called primal rap and that was a cross between eight mile and spinal tap so it's like <laughs> making fun of that whole yeah genre. yeah And then I've made documentaries. Uh, I come from a graffiti artist background. So I uh, am a muralist and a graffiti writer. And um, I used to be on tour with bands. And every time I went on tour with bands, I would get footage, you know, in every city. And then I'd put together these little documentaries. And um, that taught me. I mean, that's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It it was, yeah, that's my my education. I didn't go to film school. Uh, I just went to life. And life taught me that I need to get shit done or else nobody will take you serious. So. Sure. So are you, it was that kind of your. So were you traveling with these bands as like a graffiti artist as part of the show? And I was traveling doing live painting while they were doing their show. Oh man, that's so so cool. I was with like The Roots or LL Cool J or Good Lord. uh, De La Soul. (laughs) A whole bunch of different rap groups and R and B groups that were great, great bands. Um very well yeah, I think the world agrees with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the roots made it big after after those tours. Damn. Uh that's so cool. And you just kind of picked up a camera and now you're are you still doing the graffiti thing or have you switched to filmmaking full time? Um I no, I still make way more money doing mural stuff and art related stuff. Um I'm that's my goal though. My goal is to try to transition uh into you know, permanent filmmaking, because that's such a hard circle to crack, but I'm getting closer all the time. Um, Yeah. I do a lot of different departments too. So like, even if I wanted to, like I could probably go and work as an editor full time, but I don't want to do that. That's just making other people's (laughs) stories. Awesome. You know, I'm trying to make my own stories. So, you know, writer director is more my, my Avenue at the angle. Shopping. How do you find your writing process goes? Man, I'm a slow writer, uh, and it's it's not it's kind of like how you you describe you're a, sl- a slow editor. I'm a slow writer, so I oh, don't worry. I'm a slow writer too. <laughs> are you? <laughs> you're a slow writer. I, I can I sometimes I need a deadline. That's my biggest thing. The reason yeah. why those films are in post production is because no one's been like, hey, get these done. You need a deadline. Yeah. Yeah. Recently, ironically, our mutual friend Tony was like, hey, can you write this thing? And I cranked out like sixty pages in like three days like oh. i can write when i have a deadline but when i don't i just i just fart around and go, and go brainstorming counts as writing right and then mm. it just, it, yeah <laughs> no i that's funny uh brainstorming counts. so i do uh all my writing is is normally it's in my head and i know that i need to put it on paper uh yeah. and so i'll go in deep like what i'll do is i'll take plane rides and when there's nothing else to do i'll be like okay i gotta figure out what i have to do in this scene for this movie i'm writing or whatever mm-hmm. and the, i'll get the ideas there and then later on i'll type them but i'm such a slow typer that's what that's what takes so long <laughs> i you think. need one of those uh dragon apps where you can just dictate it that would uh, be awesome yeah i need that <laughs> i used I to probably think... should do that yeah yeah, I remember like years ago that Dragon, it's probably like not even a brand that exists anymore, but I remember being like, maybe that's the key. I'll I'll get a headset and I'll just t- say it. But I do find myself, my writing process, there is a flow from brain to finger 
mm-hmm. uh, that I don't know if I could capture if I was having to speak it out loud. But right. I do think for some people, it's something they should consider for sure, especially if you can just like speak it out or if it's in your brain. But I also that's another thing is like I can picture a scene so vividly in my head and then I go to type it to like explain it. And it's like, this isn't what I ma- imagine. Why are my words not capturing this image in my head? It's it's how I feel. It's funny that you do artistry and graffiti and all that stuff, because one of my biggest things is I've always had these vivid pictures in my head, but I can't draw for shit. Uh, if, <laughs> if I like pictured a beautiful woman and I wanted to uh, sketch that, I, I couldn't do it. I, you would see a stick figure with a like a little line for hair uh, yeah. <laughs> for me. And that's how I feel with writing sometimes too. <laughs> but maybe maybe as an artist you uh have a bit a better flow though uh between those two things um i'm curious uh so you do more documentary but you've been writing so you've been dipping into fiction and i am the uh drop dead fred is a fictional story correct well drop dead fred is a movie from the 90s uh starring phoebe cates but Half Dead Fred. Oh God! <laughs> Half Dead Fred is the movie that I wrote, no, and uh, I, damn, uh, damn, how did this get made? Just covered that. That's why it was. Did they? Oh, rattled. the Netflix one. Uh, the like the yeah the '90s movie, the Drop Dead Fred movie. They I'll have to it. see that. I kind of like that movie. I, I haven't seen it in 20 years, but it's a it's one of their better episodes because uh, one of them is like the, a couple of them are like vehement Drop Dead Fred defenders. And the other one's like, this movie's trash. What are you guys talking about? It's, it's it got episode. harsh reviews. The reviews on it weren't <laughs> the best, as I recall. And I don't think it made money. And so that's why. But it was a major studio. So it's always going to be known and remembered because they probably spent, you know, five million on marketing. Yeah. But um, yeah, the movie that I wrote, um, I wrote it based on the architecture in Flint. I, I wrote it based on... Um, uh, my buddy's an actor, his name's Corin Nemec, and I was trying to figure out uh, what he could play and uh, kind of like this medium detective, like kind of like a Columbo-ish, you know, with a dark humor side sure. uh, angle. And so I kind of wrote it for him uh, to, to play the lead in it. And um, it was also one of the producers wrote a book called Haunted Flint. And so... Um, Oh, One, cool. Yeah, I read that on the way home on this plane ride. I I swear to God, I come up with these movies on plane rides. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. it's like a, you know, a, a thought process just sitting in a plane. And all of a sudden, your mind starts to wander. And I, I start thinking of stories. But uh, yeah, I, I wrote that one. I, I don't know. I can't remember what the process was. But as I recall, it was a slow process. You know what I mean? Because I think it took me like four or five months to write it. But I just write every once in a while, you know, I just sit down and write. And also it was during COVID. So you have to be right. at home anyway. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, exactly. I was, in, I'm really intrigued by the film because I don't, I don't think we get enough uh, films. And I love, I don't know if you would even call it its own genre, but this sort of like gritty supernatural detective thing. It reminds me of like uh, Odd Thomas or something like that. You don't. Yeah, uh, I, I love the uh, what I would call almost like urban fantasy in a weird way, mm-hmm. where it's like gritty, real street level stuff. But there's just little twists like there's ghosts or there's, you know, uh, like I, you know, I used to get I used to love Buffy a lot. And I feel like that's very gra- weird. It's like a weirdly grounded show for how much supernatural crap they're dealing with. 
Um, right. I mean, is this in that sort of same vein, it sounds like? Um, I think it is in that vein, except for I think it's a little bit more serious than, say, Buffy. Sure, um, sure. I, I would say it's a cross between uh, the movie Brick and okay. uh, Sixth Sense. I think that's okay. the tone is very Sixth Sense. Um, and it, and I, I think Sixth Sense is a real strong reference because if you remember the movie Sixth Sense, they only show you certain things. And that is the very key. It's like what the movie shows the audience is so much more important than, you know, what they what they don't show. Yeah, and they, they take away things. Obviously, they're not showing that Bruce is dead. Spoiler. Uh, they're not showing <laughs> Bruce is dead the whole movie. Right. Because if they did, there wouldn't be that twist that makes you go, aha, that aha moment. I have this thing similar to that in this film. Um, and also it's a film noir, so it's a first person narrative. You know, your lead character's talking to you like Ferris Bueller or, uh, you know, whoever else does the voiceover. Or even our, our movie, the movie we're talking about today, uh, True Romance. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. I was, have you seen Odd Thomas? I have seen Odd Thomas, but I can't really remember it. Is he dead the whole time? Uh, there's a twist. Um, it's not that he's dead. You find something out towards the end of the movie that's kind of uh, soul crushing. But okay. It, I mean, again, that movie might be more comedic than the film that you've made, but I think it is. As I recall, it was a little. Um, no, it was. Very, was it was a huge. It was. I think it's categorized as comedy, isn't it? Yeah, it's so. It has like really serious stuff in it, though. I mean, like trying to solve murders, and there's really gnarly things. But his narration is very cheeky, and I think that's what I like kinda, that. Yeah, uh, rides the line a little bit. <laughs> I like cheeky narration, and I like uh, how characters are talking to you uh very much like the true romance movie that if you recall uh in the beginning patricia arquette is actually has a voiceover and she's talking to the audience you know i never thought i'd find true love and so i like that stuff you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um i definitely have you seen uh kiss kiss bang bang of course love it love (laughs) i I referenced that recently because uh love it um because i did sunset boulevard for the show recently Mm. Yeah, I saw and that. The, yeah. the narrator is is dead. That's talking to you. I mean, he's the guy in the pool that's dead at the beginning, and he narrates the whole movie. And there's a line in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang where he's like, "You don't know whether Harry's gonna make it or not." And he's like, "Well, oh, you think just because I'm talking to you right now that I live? You know, have you ever seen Sunset Boulevard?" And like, it all like right. became full circle. And I was like, "Oh shit, okay." Right. Uh, but yeah, I love Kiss Kiss Bang. I'm, I'm a Shane Black fan for sure. Like, I, I pretty much will watch anything he touches. Uh, <laughs> at least give it a chance and that's so good because of the writing and, that, mm-hmm. and that's another thing that i really want to emphasize and what i like to talk about is writing mm-hmm. if you if you have a well-written script and and it you know reads well it transitions well and it is formed into this movie that's a good story and it unfolds a story that unfolds versus like, you know, somebody just running around with a gun or a knife or whatever. That is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. what I strive for. That's what I like. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang, things like that. That is well written. And it references things like that, like you just said, that makes it very intelligent for the viewer, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I super agree. I think a lot of times, uh, especially like in the I mean, not even just the indie filmmaking world, filmmaking world in general people will get off and running before they even have like a clear idea of what they're going for. And right. I, I get that's the nature of the beast. Sometimes it's like, well, we have this location and we have this actor, uh, let's figure it out. But I just, 
I some a lot of times when people ask me, like, uh, I've been interviewed a couple of times, like, how do you get started filmmaking? And I'm like, scripts are very important and you should take yeah. them very seriously. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the foundation for everything. And I think sometimes people don't put enough emphasis on it. I don't know if it's because screenwriters don't get enough spotlight or, or what, if it's not like the, the most glamorous role. So maybe people don't aspire to it as much, but it's, it's like when you have a great script, it, it really like, you know, I think they say on script notes all the time. It's like, uh, it's like you can make an okay movie from a great script, but you can't make a great movie from an okay script. Uh, it's just like, you're never just going to make an amazing movie with no script unless you're, you know, you're doing like an improv thing or a documentary. Obviously that's a different animal, but, uh, it's just, I, I love hearing you say like the script matters. Cause like, I'm just like, oh yes, <laughs> of oh, course. Definitely. So it matters. Agree. It matters so much. And <laughs> I, I'm so picky nowadays, you know, like I, I have a lot of friends that pitch me stuff and, and you don't know how many people are making a horror movie right now about a camp. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, bro, the camp horror movie has been done. You know, unless you've got something that is entirely different, uh, you know, I'm not really that interested in it because it's just been overkilled. It's It's been done, you know? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, people grow up on that stuff. So, of course, yeah. they like that's what they're influenced by. Sure. Uh, but it's like you do have to kind of read the writing on the wall where it's you have to have some kind of insanely fresh spin on it because you right. can't just do camp slashers and hope that anyone will pay attention at this point. <laughs> but they like, do. They're making them all the time. More making right now. Some are in post. It's just and and I'm not trying to talk shit about those people. In of fact, course. I really don't try to talk shit about anybody making film because I want anybody to make their film. Do you know what yes. I mean? If you have a story, I want you to make your film. It, it We can do it now independently a lot easier than we could just five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 100%. years ago. We can make them. You have a story. Good for you. Make your stuff. I'm just saying, based on what I want to spend my time doing, I don't want to do stuff that I don't feel 100% like this script is fire. I want to, I want to go with a fucking dope script and I will go out of my way to make that happen yeah. uh, if the script is fire. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, speaking of all, you know, we just kind of went through a couple films we like. I I mean, your filmmaking journey is fascinating. I could probably sit and talk about it for the next five hours. But I would also <laughs> love to get a taste for what sorts of films you like specifically. Obviously, we're both fans of True Romance, and we'll dig into that deeper uh, a little bit later. But, uh, I'm, you know, I'm curious. It, it, I never ask people what their favorite films are because that's such a hard question. That is me, hard. It, it almost changes daily, but if right. people wanted to get a sense for what you're into, do you have any things that float to the top of your mind immediately? Well, the, the films that I grew up on were, you know, Brat Pack movies. So oh, interesting. I'm huge uh, John Hughes fan. And then uh, that kind of translated into um, any John Hughes movies that are particular favorites of yours. Oh, <laughs> Pretty much every John Hughes movie is amazing. <laughs> so I guess my favorite would be, well, one of my favorites is Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. That is an amazingly well-crafted uh, uh, film. Unfortunately, in line with the theme of this podcast, that is one I've not seen. So What? I cannot believe that. You have to see that movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> have you seen a lot of John Hughes? We've had this discussion, huh? Yeah. We did talk about this. I've, I've, seen a, I've seen a lot of his films. Um, I'm literally named after one of them. 
uh jake ryan jake ryan 16 candles <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i've not seen pretty in pink that's great uh, film he didn't direct that howard deutsch directed that but he yeah, I, wrote it and produced it yeah john hughes is like he's so specific that even movies that he only wrote i'm like that's a john hughes movie <laughs> uh, or sometime. wait or, or maybe no i'm t- i'm thinking of some kind of wonderful maybe he did do pretty in pink did he direct pretty in pink I don't know. I think you're right, though. I actually own some kind of wonderful on DVD. I have a. I love some kind of wonderful. (laughs) Some kind of my my girlfriend went to uh, high school at the same school they shot some kind of wonderful. Oh, that's so cool! (laughs) And it's it's an amazing film. Um, But John Hughes stuff in general, obviously Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, is amazing. Um, I even like the ones that nobody knows he did. Like, She's Having a Baby. I think he did that one. Oh, interesting. Uh, but he wrote so many. He used to write yes. with National Lampoons, and he wrote all kinds of shit. Like, he was just such a big writer. He wrote... I, he, did you know that he wrote Ferris Bueller's Day Off in, like, I don't know, less than a week? No, I didn't know that. It's amazing. I have a bunch of trivia for True Romance once we get to it, too. I, I come across lately that I'm just okay. going to see if, <laughs> if you know about it or not, because there's a lot... But yeah, I like John Hughes movies, and then I like t- Tony Scott movies, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually just watched Top Gun fairly recently because I was getting prepped for the sequel. I'd actually never seen it. You never saw that one either? Oh my god! I hadn't until I hadn't until recently. No. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, I I really like the way he uh, he doesn't do it, but his editor. Even in True Romance, the editing is just so good. But like, yeah. if you get to his later films, like Man on Fire, and you know they're doing all these circular uh, drone shots, and the editing is just so he he makes everything he does faster. Even if it's a two hour long movie, like True Romance is two hours long. But you yeah, wouldn't I think about I, it. That I way. legitimately forgot that it was two hours long because it flies by so fast. It does. Uncle Buck, Weird Science, uh, John Hughes did so much. Um, Home Alone. I don't care about Beethoven, but that one made a lot of money. <laughs> Beethoven made a lot of money. We know that. Worth it. <laughs> yeah. I liked I, it when I was a kid, but I, yeah, I, I don't know how much it holds up. Is that Lithgow that's the dad in that? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's um, the guy that just died, actually. Uh, Charles Grodin. Oh. Charles Grodin just died, yeah, and he was in Beethoven. But anyway, yeah, John Hughes was amazing. Um, I, I grew up on those kind of movies. Uh, Breakfast Club, uh, 16 Candles, Pretty Pink. Um, I, I don't know if those are the films that made me want to be a filmmaker. I think m- maybe even True Romance might be one of the films or, or sure. Quentin Tarantino in general. Tarantino uh, directed films might be uh, something that was an inspiration. Kevin Smith was a huge inspiration with Clerks. Oh, and, yeah. I think I think he's got all rats. Even if you don't love, love Kevin Smith, I think he's such an inspiration for especially low budget filmmakers. Right. I just, yeah. I think, his story is amazing. His story is amazing. Robert Rodriguez's story is amazing. Oh, I love uh, his, his book, uh, Rebel Without a Crew, is Crew, one yeah. of my go-to. Like, holy shit, this guy is such an inspiration. I love Rodriguez. Yeah. I mean, I don't love, like, the kids' films he does, but they're right. they're fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, literally, El Mariachi, I, man, that movie is pretty inspirational to me to watch and just it see, is. to know he made it for so little almost by himself yep. uh but it's still so interesting and watchable and there's so many memorable scenes just know that the dude was just sitting in a room with two vcrs just like cutting yep. back and forth like he oh, has man. determination <laughs> his determination was stronger than his budget you know what yeah. I mean? yeah 
Yeah, I, I genuinely think like in El Mariachi, that scene where she comes in and like holds a knife <laughs> under the bath uh, and forces him to sing to prove he actually is a mariachi is just like I, that, that scene lives like rent free in my head. <laughs> yeah, no, it's he's a very accomplished filmmaker. I've I've actually worked for him a couple times, uh, and I uh, just felt so honored to work under him in any capacity. Yeah, he's 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 a genius to, on many levels for sure. Yeah, I think I, obviously you're super on the ball to bring up Tarantino. I, I jokingly call Tar- uh, True Romance my favorite Tarantino film, but I kind of also mean it uh, because I think of all of Tarantino's body of work, True Romance is my favorite film that he's attached to, even if he didn't direct it. And I've been, I've said on the show a million times, but I'll, I'll say it here again since the since. since is the proper true romance episode i i think true romance is better for him having given the script to tony scott like i i don't think it'd be the movie that it is if tarantino himself had directed it especially so early in his career oh yeah and especially because the script is so wish fulfillment like tarantino obviously thinks he is clarence in the script and because you get that step removed of tony scott directing it and not tarantino it takes away like that self-masturbatory aspect of the whole thing and it makes it just a lot more pure like tony scott just loved the material and he brought his aesthetic to it and i just think i just don't think it would have worked as well uh if if he hadn't done it um and so i i feel like it's this magical concoction of everything coming together at once i mean of course the cast is just like insane Uh, a lot of people like right before they blew up are just kind of in the movie <laughs> and like Brad Pitt and Gandolfini and all those guys. Uh, but I also, I'm curious, like how does Tarantino hold up for you these days? Cause I still literally love every single thing he's made, but I don't, I, when I first started filmmaking, I li- I definitely was one of those people that's like, I'm going to be the next Tarantino I'm going to make Tarantino-like films with the snappy dialogue and the crime and the blah, blah, blah. And I've kind of pulled back from that because I think that's a trap a lot of people fall into. But I still love his films, you know? I literally, even the ones that people don't love as much, like Death Proof, I adore. Um, I'm curious how you feel about him yourself these days. Well, I I don't like his, uh, you know, recent work uh, in comparison to his older work, in, in my opinion. I, I agree with you uh, as far as Tony Scott goes. So the history of that little incident went like this. Um, the last Boy Scout movie that Tony Scott was directing, yeah. Quentin Tarantino got I on set. I believe it's a Shame Black uh, written film. Oh, is oh, it? Oh, I believe so. I actually I, like The Last Boy Scout. It's a little bit too much of this and that. that and that's, it, the one, that's the one that's got that iconic football scene, right? Right, yes, yes. <laughs> I yes. love that scene. <laughs> yeah, there's some crazy shit in it, but it's definitely, you know, macho-driven. Anyway, oh, sure. That's not... Shane, Shane Black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, but that's not the point. The point is, he got on that set somehow, some way, or whatever, and he gave Tony Scott two scripts. One was Reservoir Dogs, one was True Romance. And by the way, True Romance was probably almost twice as long at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And True Romance was the first script, uh, f- first feature that Quinn had ever finished. He had written a million trillion things, but he never finished any of these things, right? Yeah. I so want to say, this. And maybe this is in your uh, background, but I believe True Romance, part of it became Natural Born Killers, but I might be wrong about that. 
Um, well, kind of, yes. It, originally, um, Clarence was a screenwriter, and he was writing the script, and he was writing those characters in Natural Born Killers. Okay. Was, that's that's why it was twice as long. They cut out all that shit. <laughs> By the way, he never even typed this thing up. His, his buddy that he co-wrote uh, uh, Pulp Fiction with, Roger Avery. Been forgotten the time a little bit, but he, he's, he should get a little more credit for especially He should. Early. He should yeah. totally get some credit because he co-wrote some <laughs> Pulp Fiction, which is awesome. We're not talking about yeah. Pulp Fiction today, but Pulp Fiction's insanely awesome. Of course. Um, but he's the one that typed up this script. And uh, when it got to, you know, Tony Scott, he loved it. He wanted to do both of them. Uh, he only allowed him to do one. Right. And then he got yeah. paid for that. Then he could take the money and do Reservoir Dogs. That's a famous story. Yes. But he changed that movie so much. Uh, yes. One main thing is he let the characters live at the end. You know, mm-hmm. our, our lead two characters. Uh, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette's characters, and they were originally going to die. And also, it was out of sequence. Originally, this script was out right. of sequence. So he put I it in the timeline. That. He changed yeah. the whole timeline. And I think he was right to do that at that time. Um, at that time, I think if he would have done it a different way, um, you know, and he included all this other stuff with, you know, too much stuff. There's a lot of stuff in True Romance. You have to realize they packed so much stuff in there. Yeah. And to have more is like watching, you know, (laughs) a miniseries. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those things where a lot of times it's like, you know, let the artists have their vision. But this is definitely an instance where Tony Scott stepped in, kind of made it more commercial, but it's better for it. Like the. You know, again, I, it, I, I, lo- I love that story about how, like, Clarence was supposed to die in the movie. It felt right. like it, Tarantino was maybe self-aware enough to know he can't have this insane fantasy and just make it out at the end. But because Tony Scott stepped in and was like, I love this guy. He's got to make it. It works still somehow. You're just like, holy shit, he lives and it all worked out. Like, he, he I literally was watching the last scene last night and I'm like. He just got a, he's got an eye patch, but everything worked out like it's it's fucking awesome and you feel good about it. It's yeah. like I, I you know I always say downer endings and depressing endings do tend to stick in my mind a little longer. They stay with you, but I mean I'm I'm never mad when a movie has a happy ending, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I and, like the ending. I, I think Tony Scott did a great job. Um but to answer your question, I, I don't like to uh Tarantino's stuff. As much as I did when I was younger. Um, and there's a few different reasons why. Uh, and and one, one is a huge reason. And I don't know why I didn't think about this when I was younger. But um, I would always, you know, try to share with my friends Tarantino stuff. And um, I always got my, my close friends that are black were always like, no, nah, I don't fuck with Tarantino, you know, because he drops the N-bomb so much. And, sure. And the context that he drops it is so subjective well, it's not subjective it, it's pretty negative it's pretty derogatory and it and i started thinking about that and they're absolutely right when i was a kid i didn't think about this but mm-hmm. if i was black i would feel disrespected and i would not like that and i don't want to make for me as a filmmaker i don't really want to make any films that make people feel bad for the color of their skin or their gender or their yeah. or whatever reason i don't want to do that and so Honestly, me looking back and thinking about the, these scenes and and they're great scenes. I'm talking about the Dennis Hopper and and Christopher Walken scene in True Romance. It's a fucking yeah. amazing scene, but it has a context of dropping the M bomb so much that it's just like 
now it kind of fucks with me. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't. Yeah, that that's that that scene is is so complex to me because like I like that that's the scene I always think about when I'm like when I'm ranting and raving about how much I love true romance. I always go ah, but that one scene though has not aged well, and it's tough because technically the context of the scene is Dennis Hopper knows that that's an insult to Christopher Walken and Christopher Walken's a piece of shit for taking it as an insult, but it doesn't get around the fact that what you're saying is absolutely right. And then, and then not to mention you go to something like Pulp Fiction where the guy who wrote and directed it gave himself a scene where he just drops the M bomb like 17 times. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, uh, it's, I, I not age super great. Uh, it's also just, uh, I don't know. I don't know if he, what he would say about it these days. It seems like he's kind of gotten away from that a little bit. I mean, Django Unchained, notwithstanding, but that's like a whole different ball of wax. But yeah, no, I think you're so right to point that out. And I do, every time I get to that scene, I'm like, it's two actors at the top of their game and it's so good and intense, but it has this weird thing like bubbling underneath it. That's just like, damn, I don't know though. <laughs> and that and that is i feel like one of the reasons why um you know true Rom- the reason why we picked true romance is we were talking and we're like oh that's that's like my favorite movie you know that used to be my favorite movie you know and i it was my favorite movie in the 90s you know when i was a kid and i didn't yeah i i was super self uh absorbed into things you know as i as i was you know as you are when you're a teenager but as I get older and, and I am creating film, you have to realize how much influence film uh, has on people. And the problem with that scene, and you're absolutely right, there, there are these characters, they're reasoning, you know, and there's racist characters in the world and you can write them to death and that's fine, sure. that's real. But the other flip side of that, when you make a film and people see the film and it's influential and people see it and they go, this is okay. I can talk like this because mm. this is in I'm watching it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but it's absolutely correct because people aren't the swiftest. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what <laughs> intelligence level of a human being is watching my uh, content. And I don't want my content to be taken in that in that demeanor. And I don't want anyone to feel uh, like shit because of like I said, their gender or their sexuality or the way they look or or what color they are. You know what I mean? Any of that shit. So I think that's a real thing to think about. Um, and, and it comes back to writing, you know? Um, anyway, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I just think that's something. Well, no, that... it's, it's something I wanted to talk about anyway. So I'm so glad you brought yeah. it up. Uh, and it just, it's really tough because I do think, it's it's the nature of the beast like you know the the show i cover a lot of classic films and oh i mean for example i did eddie presley recently and ironically uh that's a movie that's got a lot of weird connections to reservoir dogs and, and tarantino in a weird way because the lead is is uh oh my god i'm bl- blanking on his name but he plays maynard in pulp fiction uh and then uh, there's a security guard that's the it's the boss from Reservoir Dogs, and the boss from Reservoir Dogs has a scene where he drops the f bomb, and I'm not talking about fuck, I'm talking about the derogatory term for a gay person, and it's like I'm so unused to at this point hearing that word that when I'm watching an old movie and someone just like spits it out, I just go whoa, 
holy shit. <laughs> like, and it's like, right. It's like, yeah, at the time I get it. And, and even in the context of the movie, this guy's a piece of shit that's saying it, but it's like, I don't know. No one wants to hear it. Uh, it's kind of like, it's like a uh, sexual assault scenes in movies, you know, uh, right. we've gotten to the point where it's pretty much widely agreed. It's like, we don't need to do them anymore. We don't need to show it in the movie you don't have to have this long scene where this thing is happening it's like we all understand we've seen enough of it we don't need to re-traumatize people uh it's just uh, there's nothing wrong with putting more thought into your script it's not like it's not like it's not like oh you're just holding me back from my artistry it's like there's better ways to tell the story uh and if you're not clever enough to think about it then maybe you shouldn't be telling the story in the first place you know i i just yeah, if any, like I just anybody that pushes back against that, I'm just like I don't know. I feel like you're just being inflexible, uh, and that's what you're you're supposed to be flexible, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if those you know the movie that we're talking about today will hold up as well in today's climate because they you know all the cops nickel and dime they drop uh, the f word a bunch and yeah exactly. Uh, you know, there, there's a bunch of things like that, and I'm just saying. In my filmmaking, in my writing, and and the worlds that I'm creating, because we're creating worlds, you know. Yeah. I'm. Cre- I want to create a world that doesn't have those things. That that's all I know about that subject, and <laughs> that's one of the reasons why that's definitely not my favorite movie nowadays. You know, and like you say, favorite movies can change <laughs> daily, almost. You know, if you're a big yeah. movie guy, if you're into movies, but um. But yeah, it, when I was a kid, True Romance was by far my favorite movie. It is like you were saying the, you know, Bonnie and Clyde kind of situation, the lovers mm-hmm. on the run, and that's an awesome genre um, because most people can relate to it. They can relate to, and everybody wants to fall in love, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and- lovers on the Run, I would say, is probably my favorite uh, niche genre, like gunned in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. It just I, there's something about it. I've I have so many movie ideas for I like my goal is to make a great Lovers on the Run movie someday, and because I just I don't know literally all you have to do to get me invested in a movie is be like these two characters are on the run and it's a romance but there's crime and stuff like and I'll be like oh shit I'm there like I love Bonnie and Clyde I love True Romance um I think uh you know what I'm gonna save it uh, this will be my recommendation at the end of the show uh but Queen and Slim is one of my favorite. Uh, recent lovers on the run movies that movie fucking rules um, oh, i haven't seen that one i saw I, the I think trailer people, i think people slept on it a little bit but i mean i just like if daniel kaluuya is in the movie then you gotta go see it because the guy's a fucking beast uh he's one of the greatest actors working today uh, i'm actually literally as of this recording probably just date it a little bit but probably gonna go see nope tomorrow and i'm so fucking excited uh for that uh and like oh man i'm so excited for nope i <laughs> um but yeah queen queen and slim rules badlands is pretty good badlands of course uh if people don't know the main theme for badlands is literally the main theme for true romance the dun 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 dun, dun. it's the badlands theme but hans zimmer just kind of went uh what if i like did this but it's the same okay this works so if you guys have never listened to the badlands badlands main track and you're so cool side by side they're the same song uh <laughs> but but yeah so i, I just love the lover i, I want to watch uh i've never seen that spielberg film i think it's called like sugarland express i think that's in the genre but i think the reason you're so right that everybody 
wants to fall in love and it's so romantic and stuff, but I also just love an us against the world story. That yeah. to me is also so romantic where like, the, the, like to me, there's nothing more passionate than just being like, it's me and you versus everybody, but at least we've got each other's backs. And right. I, I don't really know any other term to describe it other than romantic. It, it's just so, I, I think it's the same reason why I assume like most people growing up, I had like a, I, I would fantasize about like a zombie apocalypse because there's something kind of fun about being put into a situation uh, where you're like, it's you against you and some friends fighting the world and blah, blah, blah. And everything's been reset and the rules are out the window. It's just like, it, if you were actually in that situation, of course it would be horrible, but yeah. it's weirdly fun to fantasize about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I'm off base on the zombie thing. But. Well, I don't want to be chased by zombies now. <laughs> You've seen too many zombie films set at campsites with slashes. <laughs> right? Yeah, you might as well combine all those. Uh, but yeah, speaking of true romance, um, uh, we'll dig into the movie now. But I was curious, um, just in terms of specifics, how did you come across this movie in the first place? And I assume, like me, you've watched it quite a few times as well. Yeah, I've watched it quite a few times. Um, I watched a little bit of it recently just to recap some stuff mm -hmm. that I like and dislike or whatever. Um, I can't remember because it was 1993 when it came out. I think I saw it in high school. I think I was a junior in high school when I saw it. So I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it on video. Back then there was things called uh, Blockbuster Video and you used to rent <laughs> <laughs> used to rent videos. So Yes, yeah, so if you pretty... if you open up a tome you can find a ancient structure called a blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where I found it. I, I cannot remember though, um, the first time I saw it. I mean it's got a pretty eye catching cover, you know, Christian does. Slater with yep. the gun and Patricia Arquette is i mean she's got such an iconic look in the film uh i'm i found out like recently because i've been watching some like older christian slater like when he was young like pump up the volume oh that's a like, great movie yeah i was like I, I i think i'm slowly realizing i just have a big crush on christian slater uh yeah. especially like younger christian slater he's just so charismatic and hot i'm just heathers. like I'll, wa I'll watch him in anything <laughs> heathers was insanely oh, of dope of course yeah so good yeah uh, <laughs> have you ever seen gleaming the cube no, I haven't. Yeah, he was a skater in that movie, so you could imagine. <laughs> you know, I was a skater growing up. Uh, actually, I still skate to this day. I am a skateboarder. So um, I was a skater growing up, and when you see skateboarding movies like Thrashing or Gleaming the Cube, all that shit is super important to you. And Christian Slater was in a movie called Pump of the Volume. I mean, I'm sorry, Pump of the Volume was great, too. That was more yeah. about a radio. But he was in a movie called Gleaming the Cube. <laughs> Gleaming the Cube actually changed its name to Four Brothers Justice in some countries. But anyway, you should see this movie. It's called Gleaming the Cube. That sounds um, awesome. Tony Hawk's in it. There's a bunch of skateboarders <laughs> in it. Yeah, my, my skateboarding movie growing up was Grind. I watched that a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Grind. Well, th this will show you... The huge um, age difference between us. The Grind was the first movie that I took my lady out to. It was on our first date. And <laughs> I, I had a poster of it and everything just because it was our first date. I worked at the movie theater then. Oh, and cool. I've been with my lady for 19 years. So that's how wow. long uh, <laughs> that movie has been. That's how, that's how, that's our age gap. 
yeah, I guess uh, that was the film that me and my friends watched that got us into skateboarding. Um, I think Tony Hawk shows up for two seconds in that movie, but I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, um, well, I know I was, Tom Green's in it, and I Tom know... Green. Tom Green is definitely in it. In a yeah. Very, uh, for some reason, my my friend group is like obsessed with the movie Freddy Got Fingered, so we watched it again recently. Yeah. I was like, man, like I get it. This humor is kind of funny especially when you're with your friends but man that movie is actually terrible but also <laughs> kind of it, funny i don't know it's yeah, hard to describe <laughs> it's funny if you're 16 probably you know yeah <laughs> got that 16 vibe <laughs> but yeah true romance um like i said uh i've been saying on the show the last few episodes i'm getting a little more loose with the format so we won't go scene by scene by scene every little meticulous right. detail or anything but as we're going along if there's anything that you're like oh but this uh, we got to talk about this. Um, I do find the structure really interesting because uh, it is funny. His Tarantino's first two films, obviously, his big angle was that they were kind of out of order. And that was like fresh and new. And we were like, whoa, holy shit. John right. Travolta dies, but then shows up later in Pulp Fiction. What What's going on here? Right. Uh, oh, they're wearing those shirts because of this. Uh, and that's fun to figure out. But Pulp Fiction at this point to me works just because it's just every scene is a banger and it's right. just fun to watch. It's not so much that the wildness of the order is, is blowing my mind anymore, but obviously reservoir dogs is a little bit out of order as well. Yeah. So it's funny to hear true romance was out of order, but, uh, uh cause if I remember correctly, I remember him describing how it used to be structured, but I don't know. I like the straightforward nature of it. I like that the movie opens with, we meet Clarence and he's just this pathetic guy in a bar talking He's like trying to schmooze this lady uh, right. by saying he'd sleep with Elvis. <laughs> right, like, right, right. What are you doing? <laughs> and invites her to see three movies, three obscure Kung Fu movies because Tarantino loves Kung Fu movies and Clarence is Tarantino. <laughs> well, I, I actually think the beginning is why you like this movie. Why, why anybody likes this movie, not just you. Yeah. Uh, the beginning sets the tone. The way that this guy describes Elvis, you know, he's super into Elvis. Yeah. And then he'd say, hey, you know, I'd fuck Elvis. You know, you, all of a sudden, you're right off the bat, you're getting something from a character that is like a very secretive kind of thing. It's it's a pull. You, it pulls yeah. you into, you like this guy right away because he's showing you how vulnerable he is. And on the top of that, he asks somebody out and they reject him. So yeah. right off the bat, he says these, you know, the short monologue that's very well executed, I feel like. And then a rejection. And then it's like, that's your beginning. You're like, this is your guy. You know and what I, I mean? I love, I love that later when he's in the pie shop with Alabama, we come in and he's clearly finishing up having done the same monologue. He's right. like, anyway, that's enough about the king. What about you? Like, you're like, holy shit, he did the same thing to her. Uh, like, right. Uh, and I also love the actress in this scene. I, the reason I wanted to shout out specifically is she's also in The Crow. And I love her in that too. She's like, I, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but she... She pops up in a lot of '90s movies, and she's always a, a welcome sight. Uh, she's like a she's a drug addict mom in The Crow, and she has a really I don't know if you have ever seen The Crow. But, yeah, I see The Crow. Uh, yeah, it's like a it's I don't know it's an underrated movie. I like that movie. Uh, <laughs> but, but I've seen The Crow in like 1990, whatever. You know what I mean? It's been yeah, a long time. 94. Um, it's been a long time. Yeah, we get the we get the opening theme. We get this like insane credit sequence where we're like. Mostly with houseless people while we're getting the credits. I, I every time this scene pops up, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that we just get these shots of Detroit 
looking really rough and snowy and that's just the opening credit sequence uh but it does paint this picture of like this desolate landscape that they need to escape from so it feels right. like thematically it super works yeah um, 100 percent. and i love the the theme song i i love the main theme in this movie the you're so cool theme the dun 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 um and we get alabama's like opening thing and she's like if you'd asked me to ponder for a million years and patricia arquette's doing this kind of right. like southern white trash florida accent character for the whole movie named alabama ironically uh, <laughs> the names the names in the movie are great clarence and alabama I like i know i've seen the movie a million times but i just i find their names super easy to remember uh, <laughs> but oh yeah she she plays it so well because it's a it's kind of a naive character but yeah. it's a, it's a cute and lovable character and mm-hmm. she does it so well that you know, as soon as she's introduced and as soon as, you know, they kind of set up the whole thing, the me versus the world kind of situation, you're on their team from day one. I, th- I yeah, feel like that's what that's they do That's one of the things well that's the weird about this movie is like an overarching thing is a lot of Lovers on the Run movies are about the characters falling in love as they're on the run. Like Bonnie and Clyde, the entire movie really is about their relationship. But this is the antithesis to that like clarence and alabama within like the first 15 minutes of the movie go i love you and the and the other one goes i love you and they just are in love and together for the rest of the movie they don't fight they go through hardship together obviously but it's just like they are in love and they're on the run and they're together and that's it, there's no real arc for the characters which again is really against the kind of films that i write and that i watch and and love but For some reason, this particular film gets away with it, and that's part of why I guess I think it's so special. Like I, I I can't quite put my finger on why the movie works so well for me, why I find it so watchable, because it doesn't have a lot of like things that I would consider almost even necessary to make a film truly special. But for some reason, in this case, I'm like, yeah, I don't care. They're in love, and I love watching them do their thing. (laughs) And even. it's a combination of things, I bet. I mean, you like dialogue, right? So yeah. the dialogue is very well written. And of then the huge thing is it unfolds and there's more pieces that add onto the puzzle. It True. unfolds like like a lot of stories like we were talking about earlier, I don't feel they unfold in a way. That's a great you know what point. I mean? Yeah. This unfolds, all of a sudden the mob is after them. You know what I mean? And then all of yeah, a sudden yeah. Uh, the cops are after them. You know what I mean? It slowly trickles in. Sure. Um, it doesn't just say all this is, you know, it, it yeah, has you're good right. elements. It builds and builds and there's a new wrinkle that gets added like every layer. Uh, it's like they're going to sell the drugs. Well, they got to meet this guy. Well, this guy right. gets pinched and now the cops are in, but the mob's still after them. And No, so you're so story. right. It's probably yeah. story that you like. You know yeah, what it's, I mean? It, it's, a fa- it's, a fan- it's a fantasy tale disguised as like a gritty cocaine-fueled crime <laughs> thing <laughs> right uh but speaking right. of and i think you're so right to talk about uh the way patricia arquette plays alabama because she does play her very naive but she's so she is clever and i think she doesn't get enough credit in the movie for her clever like she comes in with the scheme to like all her, all the stuff she does to clarence when they first meet is very methodical from her she spills the popcorn on him on purpose she everything sure. she's doing is calculated um and then later I think she really shines in the scene with her and James Gandolfini because oh, yeah. she immediately realizes that the situation's fucked when she walks in, but she tries to play it cool 
and she's just like, oh, hey, are you in the right room? Um, and, and she just immediately lies about what her name is, says she's got someone coming back to the room. I think she's like, he plays football. He's really big and all that yeah. stuff. And of course, Gandolfini's not happy, but she, and God, that when he like finally takes her glasses off and you see how like scared she is, it's just, man, it's so good. <laughs> but. Yeah, well, that that scene I think really uh, helps Alabama's character in, as far as the writing goes. You know, um, yeah, and it's interesting too because I have seen like, and it kind of goes with what we were talking about earlier with like has it aged well, yada yada yada. Like I've seen some people that really say they don't like that stuff because just it's like yeah. minutes and minutes of of you know Violence. a woman be getting the shit kicked out of her. But yeah, it's like I don't know. I I still I. And you know you're scared and nervous, and she fights back. So I, I've all that that criticism I've always kind of pushed back a little bit against because it's just I don't know. She comes out on top, and it's right. Like, she kills him. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. Like, well, that's a preference of whether you like violence or not. Yeah, for that's sure. More of a violent question. And if you look at all <laughs> Tarantino's writing, it's fairly violent. Oh, very much so. But yeah, I I, I was telling you before we started the show, I kind of just wrote the instead of writing every scene, I just kind of wrote big giant arcs. Right. So my first arc is just essentially Clarence and Alabama's first night together. Um, I mean, I could, uh, again, I, I do still love this movie a lot, uh, despite any sort of, uh, what is aged well, what hasn't, I just, I don't know, nostalgia, uh, triumphs all. And that's kind of been a big factor on my show. The entire thesis of my show is I'm watching some of the greatest movies of all time for the first time to see like, if they are good, if they hold up. And I love having people on the show that have nostalgia for the films because, you know, I, I, I recently did an episode going through like all of Adam Sandler's films and mm -hmm. it's like, is his early work great? Probably not, but is happy. Gilmore still probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I just, I, every scene of that movie is tattooed into my brain and there's really no replacing that experience, I guess. And so, True Romance, I go on and on about like every little line, every little gesture. Like when she comes into the theater, just her attitude, she just spills popcorn all over him. Like even just the way she like lights up her cigarette and then like kind of pulls it out and just goes, Mind if I smoke? And just like he's like so nervous because I mean, some incredibly hot chick is just like in his business all of a sudden. Uh, right. And she's like, Can I fill me in on what I missed? And he's like, Oh yeah. And she just starts climbing over the seat. It's just so good. Uh, she's just immediately endearing and you love her. Uh, but yeah, they, they spend the first night together, uh, you know, movies, pie, uh, they uh, go to the comic book shop and it transitions from the music to a, a love scene. We get this really great. I do find that scene where they're sitting outside pretty iconic. Cause she, oh, yeah. like she's talking about like how she was going to leave, but she couldn't. And again, this is like, this is like the one big leap of faith that the movie asks you to take where they've only spent one night together, but she's like, I couldn't leave. Cause I actually really like you. And he's like, I mean, you just confessed to me that you're a call girl and I, I would be like literally an idiot to like, uh, like uh, assume that you're telling the truth, but I think I'm going to, uh, and she's kind of like, you should. And then they're just together and that's it. Uh, yeah. The movie's like, here they are. They like each other. It's done. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. It just works for me. I don't know if it's because it's so well written. Uh, I mean, the, the lines are great. And he's like, if I just throw caution to the wind, blah, 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 blah. And I mean, they're so charismatic. And uh, it just, I don't know. You just immediately feel like they're a good fit. 
and it just cuts to them getting married and getting tat- each other's names tattooed on each other. And uh, again, even that scene is shot more interestingly than it needed to be because they're so sweaty. They've had to like strip <laughs> off their clothes and stuff. <laughs> There's lots of montages in this film that, you know, makes the momentum go a little bit faster than yeah. normal. It's just Tony Scott. He just, uh, I've noticed he more than almost any director I've ever seen. He knows how to make people look good on yeah. film. People look fucking good in his movies. Like everyone in Top Gun looks amazing. Uh, right. And I mean, they are, they're all, uh, they're all hunks. Of course, but he makes them look even better, uh, and he's good at it. And everybody in this movie looks interesting and cool, and it's obviously shot on film, which I love. I, I always say, if I had all the money in the world, I would be a, a Nolan or a Tarantino, and I would shoot my movies on film. Obviously, that's a lot of money, and uh, so digital is the way to go for now. But someday, I would love to make a movie on film. It's just different. I just feel like it looks different. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm an insane person. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I love the way this movie looks and I don't even have, I want to get like some super awesome Blu-ray fuck you edition, but the version I usually watch is just like a standard DVD. Uh, yeah. and it feels like the nineties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it, it feels like watching the nineties. Um, uh, yeah. but yeah, she, she mentions that she had a pimp named Drexel. Uh, right. and we, we get, we get to meet Drexel who's, uh, Probably one of the more memorable characters. Of, the of course, Gary Oldman <laughs> is so insane for doing what he did in this film. He tells a story about how he heard someone talking like this outside his trailer while he was trying to work on the character. And he ran out and was like, holy shit, this is the voice. This is the voice I'm going to do uh, <laughs> for the guy. And like he was like smoking like 20 cigarettes with the guy outside, just like trying to pick up on his voice. I don't know if it was somebody specific or not, but yeah, I mean. There's a. Have you ever seen the show Barry? Yeah, of course. Uh, there's that scene where that actor is doing the Drexel scene as like his character piece, uh, and it's like so. That was like such a crystallization moment for me, where I was like, I have always thought the Drexel stuff was awesome, uh, but it is like it's so over the top and silly, and like doing the she Charlie. Is yeah. It, hey, white boy day is it? Is it white boy day? Uh, like all that yeah. stuff. It's like, <laughs> like it's just so. The voice is fun to do. It is really fun to do. I, uh, but the character is is nuts. And of course, he's got all these scars and a fake eye and dreads. And uh, he's got a they lot. They had a good <laughs> costume department for sure. The costume department was good. Oh yeah, every every outfit that Alabama wears is like so fucking good. Uh, there's a. Have you watched? Uh, not to keep name dropping other stuff, but have you seen uh, Euphoria? No, I haven't seen that one. That's the drug it's, one. Yeah, it's, that's the drug one. Exactly. I haven't seen that uh, one. <laughs> um, I don't watch a lot of drug stuff because I don't do any drugs. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's of just interest. Like, uh, Sam Levinson is. Uh, uh, is it Sam Levinson? I don't even now. I'm not even sure. But uh, all the all the actors in that show are really good. And there's a scene at the Halloween uh, episode, and one of the characters dresses up as Alabama, and I was Ugh. like, it's just like such an iconic look. You can immediately be like, that's Alabama. She's got the bright blue low cut thing and the wig and the and the glasses is just like such a look. Uh, and even Clarence's outfits are great. Like that red Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. I have, oh, it's funny. It's actually sitting right here. Uh, I bought like a red Hawaiian shirt. Because oh, I was going to do like a true romance YouTube video just to like analyze it just for fun. I was like, I'm going to buy like I, I literally you, you saw me on set. I wear nothing but Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love his out. I'd love to get that exact Hawaiian shirt just for like as a just a thing to have it would be fun but 
Yeah, Drexel, basically Clarence feels like Alabama can't be free until he takes care of his Drexel problem. We get to meet, uh, speaking of kiss, kiss, bang, bang, we get to meet his inner monologue character, which is Elvis, played by Val Kilmer. Uh, yeah. Val <laughs> we, Kilmer, we, I think, really tried to be Clarence. He auditioned to be Clarence. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And he probably would have done a good job. But I mean, probably. Clarence is, like, even even Christian Slater, Tarantino was on record as complaining he was too, still too attractive. Yeah. Uh, so like Val Kilmer is like a step even further. <laughs> I actually, I, I think they wanted Brad Pitt too. And all three of those gentlemen are very good looking guys. And yeah. if you really want to, you know, make a guy dumb down working at a comic store, it's probably not going to be a guy that looks like Christian Slater. Exactly. It's a, it's a little bit, it's very like Tony Scott being like, it's the movies. Everyone's yeah. hot. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. Is for the kind of character that Clarence is, it would have made sense for him to be a little dweebier, a little, his hair in this movie isn't uh, like the best Christian Slater's hair has ever looked. So I'll at least give him that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but. I think they did it black to make him look like Elvis, you know, yeah. cause he was trying to be Elvis more. But I do love Kilmer's Elvis impression. He's like, he's like, is it haunting you? Do you want to yeah. get unhaunted? Uh, and basically just jazzes Clarence up into being like, I'm going to go fucking kill Drexel. So yeah. he goes to visit Drexel and they have their big showdown. It's, it's a, it's a great scene. Uh, Clarence is being super cool. You know, again, it's like Tarantino pretending like, like part of Clarence being cool is knowing what's playing on TV for some reason. It's like, yeah, you're so cool. You know that that's, uh, uh, why am I blanking on that famous comedians, Richard Pryor movie? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? I think that aspect is the is kind of film noir ish a little bit. It's kind yeah. of like the the the, de the detective, you know. The I'm observant. I know what's going on, and I'm going to tell you what's up, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he was obviously in deep water at that point, but he still came up in the end ahead. Which that's you know the angle I like. I like you know the Big Lebowski kind of angle where. Your lead detective, or doesn't know shit, you know what I mean? But yeah. somewhat <laughs> comes out on top. You know yeah. your your whole Boondock Saints kind of feel, where these guys don't know anything, but they always live and they kill all these people. Like yeah, I like yeah. that <laughs> aspect. Oh yeah, I mean, and and you realize like later, because uh, Drexel takes Clarence's license off him and goes right, go get Alabama, and and they they fuck him up. Uh, right. but he manages to like slip his gun out and shoot Drexel and Drexel's bodyguard. But you find right. out later that he left this fucking license at the place. And that's how the mob is like tracking yeah. him. Cause he didn't remember to grab it. Well, uh, it was in his hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yep. it's like the idiot left his license clutched in the dead guy's hand. Uh, yeah. but, uh, he, he gets a suitcase that he thinks is Alabama's clothes and comes back. You get this, you get this fun sequence, which if you've never seen the movie before, I like, where he comes back and he's all fucked up and he's got like food. He's like, he's like, yeah, I murdered him. Fuck. I'm hungry. This burger is good. And she's like, cute. She's like fumbling over her words. And he's like, what, what is it? Do you still love him? Did you like him or whatever? And she's like, that was the most romantic thing anyone's ever done. And you're like, oh man, these guys are, that's the moment for me where yeah. you realize they're both psychotic and, and it's like, great they're just like perfect for each other because they're lunatics yeah and then the soundtrack comes in she opens the suitcase and she goes these aren't my clothes it's a giant bag full of cocaine that we saw him steal from samuel l jackson 
early in the movie. <laughs> and I guess technically that's like the plot. You know what I yeah. mean? The, the, the real plot of the film doesn't really hit till right then because then you realize, oh, well, now they've done this thing and now they have to sell this thing and they got to yeah. get out of the, you know? They, they decide they're going to, he, he goes to his dad for a little bit of help and he's going to go to Cali and try to hawk this cocaine and live right. like a fantastic life off the money they make from it. Uh, so we meet Dennis Hopper and we start what I consider the Dennis Hopper arc where Dennis right. Hopper is Clarence's dad. They have a lot of fun interactions, really weird moment where uh, Alabama kisses him on the lips. That's always been, that like, is weird. I noticed that bit. too. That is so weird. He, she kisses him somewhat romantically. And then Christian Slater goes, Hey, 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 Whoa. You know? Uh, and, and he's like, I think the hopper has a line where it's like, tastes like a peach. And you're just like, what? Yeah. Uh, it's something that's a little subtle. If you yes. haven't, if people haven't seen it a lot, we do get a little bit of backstory. Like we kind of find out that, uh, Clarence's mom isn't around anymore. Dennis Hopper used to be a cop, but he was such an alcoholic that he lost his job and he obviously was a terrible father. Uh, and so he, Clarence kind of like guilts him into helping him out by being like come on have i ever asked you for anything right. so hopper's like all right fine you can like take my awesome convertible and i'll give you some money or whatever but unfortunately uh while they're, they're off on their whirlwind trip he calls michael rapaport and tells him he's on his way uh we get like a fun scene where they're like having sex in a phone booth and stuff but meanwhile uh the mob helmed by Christopher Walken, who I believe either is in a deleted scene or in the original script, had more scenes, but this ends up being the only time he shows up in the movie. Uh, they show up at Dennis Hopper's and they do that scene that we talked about. And yeah, there's a lot of like uh, uh, language being bandied about that's not super great, but it is also a really good, intense scene between like two, you know, Christopher Walken, and he's and he's not quite. This is Christopher Walken before he's gone full Christopher Walken caricature, which is a lot of fun too. Like I, I do love the, like, he's just like, Oh, this guy he, like kisses him on the, the cheek and then like gets the gun. He's like, like, as he's like killing Dennis Hopper, he's just like, I haven't killed somebody since 1984. <laughs> and then right. he's, like, he's yeah. like, find the son. So I can wipe this egg off my face, take yeah. out this whole fucked up family for good. Uh, unfortunately again, for poor Clarence, uh, his, the place he's staying is on the Dennis Hopper's fridge. Uh, right. So the mob knows where Clarence is gone. So the address <laughs> that where this guy is at, that they've been torturing this guy, cutting his hand, trying to get yeah. this information for the information that this guy won't tell him is literally on the fridge. It's so brutal. <laughs> but again, that's the, the, the awesomeness of the writing that comes back to the writing because people do dumb shit you know like i don't like it in movies when uh they never show people eating or they never show people go to the bathroom that's yeah. unrealistic you know what i mean people do those normal things and they do dumb shit like leaving license in dead people's hands yeah or having an address on the refrigerator you know they do I, stuff like that and so that's right, good to talk I, about I, I you know I, I always think of myself as like fairly on top of it but I just, the amount of times I've done something like truly stupid without realizing it. And just, uh, the other day I was on set and the whole time I kept adjusting my shirt. I was like, why is this sitting so uneven? And for like half a day, I was just pulling at my shirt and I finally looked down and went, oh, I buttoned this wrong. These are in the wrong holes. And like literally like <laughs> six people were standing around me when I said that out loud. 
and they had like it was like almost like a schoolyard embarrassment moment where i was just like i look like an idiot <laughs> in front of a lot of people uh but hey it is what it is but but that's realistic. People do that all the time. Yeah, and Pulp Fiction. I mean, that's how that's how Vincent Vega goes down. He took he went to go take a shit. Right, uh, right, right, right. It's, it's his well, undoing. That, I think that's good uh, to notice mistakes that humans make and put it in writing and yeah, emphasize absolutely. on it. I think that's the key to making you know a memorable story versus a story that you've heard before seen. Yeah, and and also just the cruel irony of it that his dad was so strong for him and held out. And yeah. took took the information yeah. to the grave, and then it just gets completely rug pulled, where it's like, oh, it's just on the fridge, <laughs> right? Yeah, not it's a like, big deal. Would they have let him live? Probably not. Anyway, but probably not. Yeah, <laughs> and he knew that at some point. And th- yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the scene. Again, it's probably in the writing, very well acted, but it's in the writing where it's like, okay, can I have that Chesterfield now? Like he doesn't smoke, or he probably quit smoking, or whatever. Right. But then. So, you know, because he offers him a cigarette and he's like, nah, I don't want that. And then they talk for a little bit. Then he figures out, I'm going to die. Might yeah. as well fucking have a cigarette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Dennis Hopper is great. He's had a really up and down career. Uh, but I mean, when he's when he's on, he's fucking on, man. Uh, like, you know, I, I did Easy Rider really early on for the show. And he's obviously iconic in that. He's great in Apocalypse Now, uh, which I saw fairly recently for the first time. Uh, oh yeah interesting character in that one yeah uh, he is but yeah so michael rapaport which is a, he's probably a face that a lot of people recognize but maybe don't know him off the top of their head but he's really great in the movie as as clarence's like little naive wannabe actor friend he's so like innocent they like bring him into the room they're like we got well they visit they just kind of bomb into his house and he's he, he's living with uh brad pitt who a lot of people remember from the movie he's very like iconic stoner character uh and it's like don't condescend to me man yeah i can kill you man that, that's you know what i want to say that the moment we introduce dick ritchie which is uh michael rapaport's character yeah. i feel all of a sudden this movie becomes a comedy yeah a little bit i mean the way we like i think they talk to him on the phone first but we really early they on do we see him in an audition scene that and- is the comedy that i'm speaking of but even on even on the phone conversation when they introduce him he's on the toilet and at yeah. the end when he gets off he has no toilet paper that is straight <laughs> comedy 101 yeah so, he's like floyd where's the fucking paper right like- <laughs> so i feel like he is the comic relief and then they double up as soon as later on when they introduce his buddy played by uh bronson pitchot he is fucking hilarious <laughs> yeah, in this movie. Yeah, very like uh, someone who, I mean, he was o- around a lot in that era, but right. it's surprising that he's not like more famous than he is because- It is he, surprising. He's talented. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's so, he ends up basically, Clarence brings Rappaport to their hotel room. He's like, we've got Coke. He's like, we're not going to sell it a little at a time. We want to sell it all at once. And Rappaport's like, I don't have those kind of connections. He's like, well, get us someone who does. He's like, well, I kind of know a guy who's a director's assistant, which ends up being Bronson. Bronson, Uh, And so they meet with him and Clarence concocts this scheme to like meet at a theme park and get him to ride a roller coaster. And they have a lot of fun banter 
uh, like where they're trying to use coded language, but not doing a great job. And, uh, like for some reason, Alabama's running around blowing bubbles. And then later she's like, did I do a good job? He's like, you did perfect baby. Uh, like <laughs> just like, uh, but basically they get him to introduce him to the director friend who might buy the cocaine, who I believe is Sal Rubinick. Yeah. Um, who my little fun Sal Rubinick fact is he's directed movies too. Like he's not just an actor. He has actually directed movies. And he directed this really obscure movie called Jerry and Tom. It's this hitman movie that nobody has seen. I've uh, not seen that. And the only reason I remember it is because it's obviously a play on Tom and Jerry, uh, so that the name is easy to remember. It's these two hitmen. Uh, one is Sam Rockwell, uh, and the other I'm blanking on uh, his name. Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I'll have to see that. Joe, yeah, Joe Montanga, um, and William H. Macy's in it. There's, there's actually a pretty interesting cast, but these two hitmen, they, they work at a car dealership, but they moonlight as hitmen. And it's just this very gritty, uh, movie. And the thing that's really memorable about it is for some reason he chose to do every scene transition. Uh, there are these long scenes and then he'll pan over and it'll transition like as if it's in the same room to the next scene, it's hard to describe, but the directing in it for this kind of like low budget hitman movie is weirdly ambitious. I would recommend people check it out if they're interested in that kind of stuff. Um, mm. but yeah, so we meet, we meet Saul. Uh, I, I don't, I'm blanking on what his actual name is. Um, in the, in the movie, Lee Donovitz, Lee Donovitz. Uh, he's, I mean, he's fucking perfect as this. Yeah. Like, kind of, oh, he's excellent. Kind of coked it. out, uh, movie director guy. <laughs> uh, Clarence gets him on the phone. They have a whole. He's like, "Well, I'm trying to open Doctor Shivago in right. the thing, and you don't just want to open it in the thing." And Lee's like, "Okay, you know, give me a, give him a thing of the stuff, and we'll set up a meeting or whatever." And you're just like, "Oh, like you're like, oh, Clarence is doing I, it. He's schmoozing him." <laughs> actually, I don't even think that was Lee Donovitz that wanted the sample. I think Bronson Pichot's character just wanted a sample to get crazy oh, yeah, on his you own. Might be, you might be right. Uh, yeah, I think, he, I think he wants to just have a sample bag for the yeah. meeting. He, uh, <laughs> I think he wants a sample bag so he can drive around with that chick that's giving him head for <laughs> yeah. that scene that happens later. I think he just wanted to be a playboy. You know what I mean? Because oh, he sure. added that uh, after it, the it's, conversation. It's, like such a, it's a, such a good encapsulation of like these hollywood archetypes where they want to act right. like they're bigger than they are and act like big shots and stuff yeah uh, and it, it's very totally. like the folly of, of of them but they they go back to the hotel room clarence leaves to go get some food leaves alabama behind unfortunately for them because uh james gandolfini has tracked them down and he's waiting for her so we get this uh, it's just really i i do love the way it's cut together too because while this horrible shit is going down in the hotel room, uh, and uh, he's like, uh, I always, again, little moments because I've watched this movie so many times. Like when James Gandolfini first hits her, he does this weird look. look like up. he hits her and he just kind of looks away and kind of sort of grins and grimaces. Uh, and, like Ron's doing it right now. Like it's like, it's so <laughs> specific. But yeah. it's like, I remember it so vividly every time. Like, I wait for it to happen now when I watch the movie. <laughs> I think it's part of his character. I think that James Gandolfini um, chose to do, you know, those kind of oh, like yeah, for sure. 
outlandish facial expressions <laughs> and like just just overact a little bit for the well, character. They do a good job because the the thing that ends up happening is he kind of allows her to make a bit of a comeback in the fight where she picks up a corkscrew and instead of just kind of knocking it out of her hand, he's like, "All right, baby, I like you, kid. You get one free shot." or whatever which is like a little bit of a leap of logic but it works because he's so cocky uh like and so in control he gets a great monologue too where he talks about like what it feels like to kill for the first time the second time the third time he's like he's like the first one that's tough but the second one it's still hard he's like the third one you just level off and he like says that really haunting line about he's like now i just do it to watch the change in their expression but then meanwhile we just keep cutting to clarence and he's like ordering burgers and like bothering a guy with a magazine that has Elvis on it and stuff. And you're just like the whole time it just adds to the tension when you're like, what are you doing? Get back. She's getting fucking the shit kicked out of her. Like, uh, but yeah, really intense scene, like smashing through a shower glass, uh, turns a can of hairspray into a flamethrower, all sorts of crazy shit. Eventually she corkscrews him in the foot and gets a hold of his shotgun and puts him down I know in the original script too, instead of her just screaming like a banshee, uh, Tarantino wrote that she was like yelling this like Bible verse out loud while she did it, which is kind of like definitely I don't think would have played as well. And obviously he ends up reusing that for Pulp Fiction. Um, But but yeah, so it's I mean, I don't know, but she is like absolutely fucked up. Oh, Uh, yeah. And Clarence is like, you know, I I just I like the way they I, I love the scene where they're like sitting outside the airport on that random couch and he's just like kind of tending to her and he's just like, what the, he's like, I fuck. Cause it's basically their fantasies come crashing down. Cause it's been all sunshine and rainbows uh, for them so far. Everything's been working out great. And this is like the reality check that came in and he's just like, what the fuck am I doing? What did I do? Like, he's just like cradling her. Uh, but it's very like it's weirdly sweet, even though she's so horribly injured. <laughs> well, they're talking about the places that they want to go to and want to disappear yeah, exactly. to, and they're like Alabama and Clarence go to Cancun, and yeah. you know they they have this fantasy, and yeah, it's definitely an interesting scene. I'm trying to think where they shot that, like what airport was that? Yeah, it's so it's so specific and weird. Again, it's like Tony Scott just. You could have put it anywhere, but he just decided to make it as interesting as it could possibly be. And right. It's just like, that's the kind of like sensibilities that I, I really respect because it's tough. I, I'm sure you've uh, felt it like working with budgets and stuff for smaller feature films where it's like, well, we've got this location and this location. But when Tony Scott's got options, he's like, why not make it really interesting? Like, why not set this exposition scene on a roller coaster? Why not have them on a couch outside an airport? Like probably maybe used his top gun connections for that. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So you don't think that was written in the script that they were at? Oh gosh. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Uh, I don't know. I I, I just know that usually Quentin Tarantino scripts are probably twice as long as what we see. (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, I have heard he kind of handwrites stuff too, which is inspiring to me because like, a lot of times when I'm working on something, I will handwrite it first. Uh, and apparently, he's like can't spell for shit too. So, like yeah. all, all you people out there, don't don't be feel like your grasp of the English language is holding you back. Get that story down. Uh, <laughs> well, this yeah. script was all handwritten. He didn't type this out. Uh, yeah. that guy we were talking about earlier, Avery, he <laughs> typed this out. That's so cool. I mean, Crazy, again, yeah. that guy deserves so much credit too. 
uh, but yeah, yeah does. Uh, is it uh, Penshaw? Is it Penshaw? How do you even? I've always never really known how to say Bronson Penshaw's name. Bronson Pitchot. Pinchot. Pinchot. I think. Um, he. We get the scene you were talking about where he's driving like a maniac, uh, getting head from somebody while doing cocaine. Right. Uh, gets pulled over by a cop. Tries to get his friend to hide the coke, and she just slaps it, and he just ends up literally with coke on his face as the cop walks up. Right. Um, we basically meet brand new characters in the movie, Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore, I believe. And that's uh, not normal, by the way, because we're already over an hour deep yeah, into this well storyline. And now all of a sudden, here's these two, uh, you know, introduced characters, by the way, huge actors. Both yeah, of them. exactly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and yeah, now we have a different plot almost from a different angle. Yeah. But yeah, now we get this new element because they've set up the drug deal. Right. And we know the mob is after them. And now we're introducing this cop element where uh, Bronson Pinchot's character, Elliot, I believe his name is in the movie, is undercover and going to be wearing a wire. And so they, they go to the hotel. They've got Richie with them, too. We, one, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is this elevator ride up there because they're basically like they're wiring, they're wiring Elliot up and they're so casual with him. And he's like, I, I always remember... I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how Tarantino dialogue, the reason why it hits a little bit different is there's a line that Elliot says where he's like, and what if he sticks a gun in my eye? What do I do then? A lot of people would have written that as sticks a gun in my face. Right. But just the choice of using the word I makes it so more specific and like intense. Like he's not just sticking a gun in your face. He's sticking it right in your eye. That's how close it is. And it paints this visual image that it's easy to overlook that kind of stuff, but it's it's obviously well thought out. Um, and and ironically, when they're in the elevator, Clarence is already on edge because of what happened to Alabama, and he just pulls a gun on Elliot and just like it's like something's weird, and just like puts a gun to his face and just starts yelling at him. And Elliot's like, "I don't want to be here anymore." He's like trying to signal the cops, and they're like, "Keep it together, man!" Like Chris Ben's like trying not to laugh. He's it's like really fucked up, actually. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, it's an intense scene. He's like, "Hold it together, Elliot!" And then eventually, nothing really happens, and Clarence kind of backs off and just goes, "I'm sorry, man. I just had to make sure you were cool." Uh, so they they proceed to meet Lee Don Donovitz, uh, who just has like armed guards for some reason with like Uzis and shit. We get this. Like, yeah. That's a weird part <laughs> of the story. For yeah. Sure. Get, like there's this like blonde guy who probably was in like a trillion action movies. Uh, he just has that look. He's just big and kind of looks like a wrestler. And he's like later in, in the movie, I think he just says, I hate cops. That's about yeah. all, all we get from yeah, his yeah. character <laughs> until right. Chris Penn executes him at the end. Uh, but they're talking. Clarence is schmoozing him. Uh, we, find out that Donowitz uh directed a movie called Coming Home in a Body Bag and Clarence is telling him he's like he's like I knew so many veterans and they said that movie was the most realistic and uh cuz right. I love it later cuz when he's in the when he's in the bathroom and Elvis is talking to him he's like he's like you don't think I'm sucking up to him too much he's like no it's like you're being honest that's what I like about you Clarence uh, always have always will totally and he's will. just like he's like cuz yeah. it's true He's like, I saw the movie. It was good. <laughs> I like how they break the wall like that every once in a while. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, fictional character describing, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that in Tarantino's writing. Oh, uh, yeah. But so, yeah, they're getting on. They, they just kind of sm- Rappaport asked what happened to Alabama. And I think he just says 
Oh, she was playing basketball and caught right. an elbow. Like she's just got a hoodie on. She's messed up. Yeah. Um, and eventually he does excuse himself to go to the restroom after kind of selling Lee on buying all the Coke. Cause he's, cause Lee's like, why would I want to buy all this Coke? And he's like, cause you get to fucking play Mr. Hollywood. Well, he's like, well, then why are you selling it to me? He's like, he's like, look, I'm not like a business guy. I'm just trying to get this off my hand. He tells, he spins this story about how he's got a friend in the police department and who gave him the Coke and there he's fronting for him. And he's like, well, why'd the guy trust you? He's like, I bullshitted him. It's a, it's like a really good sequence where you just get to see Clarence really, uh, just do his thing. This is where he gets to be main character, man. Uh, and it's working and he goes to the bathroom. Unfortunately, while he's in the bathroom, a lot of shit goes down. <laughs> uh, that cops bust in cause the drug deal is about to go down. And while they're holding everybody up, the mob comes in on the other side and we get ourselves like a good old fashioned Mexican standoff right. uh, where they are all just yelling at each other. Uh, you put your gun down, you put your gun down. Finally, Elliot kind of speaks up and he's like, officer dimes. I, I don't think you need me anymore. Uh, and he tries to leave and he's like, stay put Elliot. And, and then Lee's like, what the fuck? You know, his name. What's you piece of shit? He, he gets to have one last little rant. He's like, "Tear up your SAG card. You're never working in this town again." Like, like any of that matters at this point. Uh, and he starts to like kind of strangle him. That kind of sets the whole thing into motion. Everyone just right. starts firing. And again, yeah. uh, Tony Scott's sensibilities are just get this amazing shootout. Just people getting shot left and right. Pillows, feathers in the air. At one point, Richie throws the coke in the air. So now the coke is making everything hazy. Uh, Clarence pops out of the bathroom for a second and immediately gets capped, uh, which is was in the script, I believe, even in the version he died. He's pretty much like, this is where he dies. Uh, but in our version that we got, he, he ends up making it. But pretty much everyone gets shot, except for a couple of the cops, who even one of the last two cops, he gets shot in the gut and kind of goes. All we've really got left is Chris Penn and Alabama. Uh, Richie made it out. He he ran, which is nice because he's like an innocent, nice guy. You you wanted to see him make it. Well, uh, it's nice to him that <laughs> that he made it because like right before they go in this meeting, they find out that he booked a role. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he booked a role in a, like a TJ Hooker or some TV show. Yeah, and he was super happy about that. You know, he's so, like, yeah, he's like, I'm gonna be working with Bill. Uh, yeah, like, I love his. I do love his audition scene so much. Too. Oh, it's so funny because the, yeah. the the lady that's reading with him is so deadpan. She's like, right? He's like. What's he doing? Get off the car. Get, get off. And he just makes the wheel motion. Where'd he come from? Get, get him. him. Shoot him. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's an amazing you. scene. You'll, you'll, you'll hear from us. You're a very fine actor, Mr. Richie. Yeah. That's so, how auditions are, too, sometimes. People so don't give good. a fuck, you know? Because you know it was like, you literally just was like, they didn't even give a shit. They're like, does he look good? Okay, fine. He's got it. They don't even care if he can read the lines. Uh, but. Yeah, you just find out he got a thing, so you feel like he's going to die, but he makes it out. Uh, Alabama crawls over to Clarence, and she's crying, um, trying to wake him up. He doesn't seem to be waking up. He finally wakes up. Yay, Clarence is still alive. And she's like, baby. Chris Penn goes and executes that guard I was talking about who was like calling for an ambulance. Uh, Alabama picks up uh, Clarence's gun and fucking blows Chris Penn away. I always remember that moment because he's got a body vest on but he's kind of turned to the side and has this white shirt on so she shoots him like three times and the bullets just like hit his side 
and he just gets fucking blasted against the wall and goes down. Uh, Chris Penn, RIP. We lost him too soon yeah. for sure. Uh, but people probably know him maybe best from Reservoir Dogs. He's in a lot of stuff. He's great. Uh, I, I like Chris Penn a lot. Um, related to Sean Penn, of course. Oh, Chris uh, Penn was in Footloose, man. Yeah, of course. Young Chris Penn doing the redneck guy. <laughs> I always remember his dance at the end of the movie where he does this weird like shovel hand dance. <laughs> yeah, he's been that. around. <laughs> he was also, yeah, in Reservoir Dogs, he was huge. Oh, yeah. He's so good in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, he's just like, he's. you put him in a scene where he's yelling at people, he's just singing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. He's an excellent yeller. So yeah, everybody goes down. I, I just love the way this scene goes with like the feathers and the cocaine and you know, it's like, it's cut together really wildly, but I never feel too terribly confused during this shootout scene. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, have you ever seen Domino? Yeah, of course. Saw in the theater. Yeah, that movie's like, I, I do like that movie, but that movie is definitely, it, that movie feels a little bit like Tony Scott and his editor seeing how far they can push the envelope in terms of how chaotic you can edit something. Uh, and sometimes I, I watched the last shootout from that scene on like a YouTube video recently, and I was like, this is very hard to follow at times, but it's interesting because nobody was really doing stuff like that at the time either. So I don't know, but this one I find pretty easy to follow because we've established where our characters are. You get a good sense of geography. So even when it cuts to a close up of someone being shot, I'm like, I, I never feel super confused about what's happening in the scene. Um, but thankfully, everybody goes down and Alabama is able to get Clarence up. I love the touch of one of the mob guys is in the lobby with a hostage. And because everyone's paying attention to that, they're able to just kind of slip out a little bit unnoticed. It's just like, you could have just shown him walking out, but they, they added an extra layer of uh, all this shit's going on. So it makes more sense that they're able to just kind of escape with the money and they get away and they live happily ever after we get some closing VO from Alabama. They're on a beach in Mexico. They have a kid named Elvis. Uh, right clarence has an eye patch and they live happily ever after <laughs> you know what's funny is I, and i never realized it but you mentioned it um that was the only time we see christopher walken why wasn't christopher walken at the hotel at the mexican yeah, standoff you know I, what i mean there there were i don't know if it's just in the script or deleted scene but there were scenes where he was there i don't think he was at the standoff ever but he was like in la like sending his guys out and stuff so yeah i don't know why he just disappears from the movie i guess they were like yeah uh you think he's gonna be like the main guy right uh, but he just he's gone after that scene <laughs> maybe they, only, have maybe they only had him for a day <laughs> i would maybe yeah that might be it i have to read the script for that one because i'm actually super curious if bronson pitchot um improv some of his lines Ooh, yeah versus <laughs> uh whether they were written because if you watch the roller coaster scene in particular um they're laughing a lot and he and he's doing a lot of things that i don't know if that's written so you know what in preparation for this i should have read the script but uh, I mean, I, i'm gonna go back and <laughs> yeah i watched a few scenes but i didn't read the script i would i i need to read that script and just see because i'm curious bronson pitchaw did an amazing job in these subtle little things in oh this yeah movie. You're, you're so right uh him on the roller coaster he's going through this whole gamut of emotions he he's yeah. like trying to play it cool but then he's scared like yeah i i think a lot the actor it, the actors all of them are 
you know, one of the things people talk about with this film in general is just like every role in this movie is stacked with somebody who either went on or already was an amazing, even just like Samuel Jackson is like in the background of a scene. It was, yeah. It's like that's Samuel L. fucking Jackson, Gary right. Oldman, James Gandolfini, Patricia Arquette, like everybody is just amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then Bronson Pinchot is like, have you seen the uh, deleted scenes from the uh, movie theater scene that somebody uh, had somebody had a cameo in, but they cut him out? Do you know who that is? You know, I, I think a long time ago I did, but I'm blanking on it right now. So originally, they that theater scene in the beginning was much longer, and um, Jack Black was in the movie. He came in, <laughs> really? To, yeah, Jack Black came <sighs> in and kicked out people and said, "Hey, stop sleeping here. You're out of here." But they cut him out of the movie entirely. <laughs> no. So, so yeah. even even that that minor role, they they nailed it with the casting. <laughs> oh yeah, this cast is amazing. I don't I don't know what the yeah. So much talent in that cast. I mean, they were all young then, but they all went in, you know, went up to be big, big, big yeah. stars. Huge yeah, like stars. I said, I know Brad Pitt's kind of the standout for people where yeah. such a minor role for such a one of the, the most famous guys in the world now. But, uh, I mean, he nails it. I don't think Brad Pitt gets enough credit for his character acting. I, I think people don't. They just go, oh, that's Brad Pitt. But he's he's actually a really good character actor. And he's kind of he under... Is. He's, He's one of the more like super famous actors who I still think is able to disappear into a role. Unlike a lot of people like, like George Clooney, if I see him in something, I'm, I just kind of go, Oh, that's George Clooney. Like right. Tom Cruise to a certain extent, but Brad Pitt, it's like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I know you said you don't love Tarantino's like later work, but even his character in once upon a time in Hollywood feels so specific to me. Like I'm like yeah. that's that's that guy. He is that guy, and that character is a lot different than he is in like say World War Z or or whatever other movie you want to pick out. And even the uh, upcoming he's a movie, good actor. yeah, even the upcoming movie movie Bullet Train, he's obviously doing some sort of like kind of weird character in that too. So uh, the, the the problem though with Brad Pitt, unfortunately, is. <laughs> He's super good looking guy. Yeah, so like yeah. when people see super good looking guys like Johnny Depp or uh, Brad Pitt or even Val Kilmer when he was young, they're all really good looking guys and they look like leading men. So it's hard for the audience to really transform with them uh, unless they have help sometimes, you know, sure. like Johnny Depp will, you know, he enjoys a lot of prosthetics and wants him. He wants to look different, you know, because. He doesn't want people to go, that's just Johnny Depp. That's just that person. They want to be, uh, you know, into these characters. Yeah, and, I might go, I, might go to uh, check Brad Pitt being mm -hmm. weird in something movie recommendation is uh, California. If yeah. you've ever seen that with a K. Oh, it's great. I love uh, California. The character that he's doing in that is is bizarre and so weird. He just talks like this. He's just like. Yep. Okay. And like, I was, yeah. That's that's a wild movie. I, I don't know if it's the greatest movie of all time, but I kind of have a soft spot. For it has it. a quality. Well, the, <laughs> I've watched an interview with Brad Pitt, and he was talking about this movie, True Romance, and he was saying they wanted him to do a bigger part, and he said he didn't understand the script. He had just done California, and that was very dark, and he didn't know if he wanted to be 
this dark character. And I'm presuming that they wanted him to be Clarence, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which would make sense at the time because Brad Pitt was was going high fast, you know? But so right. was Christian Slater. Christian Slater had a great, um, you know, resume. But I think they asked him first. Um, but again, these people, all these people are fucking good-looking people, man. And when you're a good-looking person, usually the world puts you in a leading man role. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's fun that we still get to see him kind of stretch a little bit occasionally, especially back in the day when he could, like, do more character stuff. Uh <laughs> 12 Monkeys was awesome oh, yeah, to me. Of course. I loved him in 12 Monkeys. Yeah, Fight or, Club. Oh, Fight Club or um, Snatch. Dude, oh, Snatch yeah. was fucking unreal. And he, he wasn't a huge part in Snatch. I mean, if you look at the dialogue, he barely had a role, but it was memorable probably oh. one of the best character acting i've seen yeah i think that's i think his stuff is probably the most quotable uh, what, I, what the fuck i want for a caravan with no wheels for yeah <laughs> like dags <laughs> have you ever seen uh meet joe black yeah there yeah, was like there black. was a thing going viral recently that came across my feed because I, I hadn't actually ever sat down and watched the whole movie there's a scene where he like talks to this jamaican woman and he starts doing like Jamaican patois. And like, I was watching like a video of like someone who speaks the language, like breaking down his, his attempt at the accent. It's, it's pretty wild. Like, it's funny cause he's really off in some regards, but he's actually kind of nailing it in other aspects. It's like, he obviously put in the work, uh, to try to like nail it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. He's great. I mean, everybody in the movie is great. And I love that they get a happy ending. I love the, her final monologue, the, all I could keep, all I could keep thinking in the moment was, "You're so cool, you're so cool." Like you just love that she loves him so much, and it's just like she writes, "You're so cool" on a napkin and like passes it to him. It's it's super cute, even though we're in the middle of this like intense drug scene. <laughs> like I don't know. So yeah, that that I, is like the whole movie. We kind of just yeah. jumped around a little bit. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you were like, "Oh, we, we got to talk about this scene or this moment or"? Anything that like super sticks out before we wrap it up, wrap it up? No, we we did a fine structure. I think um, like we're discussing now, the cameos and the star power that are in there are just amazing. And I think you should watch this movie, if nothing else, just to see that, just to see, uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, like you said, yeah. comes in. He's just like, yeah, I eat pussy. I eat the pussy. I eat the butt. I eat every motherfucker. <laughs> you know, he gets so into it. He has like five lines in the movie. He gets killed right away, but yeah, it's it's so memorable to me, you know. Um, James Gandolfini had barely has you know he has a small yeah, role. Yeah, you, you just but... kind of see him standing in the corner with the hopper walking scene, and you're like, that's right. fucking Tony Soprano just chilling right. over there. <laughs> right, exactly, and I think that's what makes this movie special too. I think the writing, the uh, story unfold, and the love story itself is is probably really strong um reasons why you should watch this film oh yeah and i and i love the main theme i just i don't know i have a lot of nostalgia for the film i love lovers on the run so i'm always going to be biased i think this is going to be you know i i always do ratings on the show i don't ask my guests to do ratings anymore because it's hard uh but i've have a long-standing tradition of doing ratings on the show and i also have a pretty intense grading curve i always my example is I gave The Godfather an 8.5 out of 10. That's a 10 out of 10 movie to me, like any day. But on the show, I have like a grading curve because I'm supposed to be watching some of the greatest movies of all time. This one doesn't feel super fair to rate, though, because I just love it so much. 
I've never given a movie on this show a 10. And I think I would maybe give this a 10, but I don't know. Just for posterity, I'm going to put it alongside my other favorite movies I've covered on the show and give it a 9.5. That puts it in the halls with uh, In the Mood for Love and uh, Leon the Professional, I guess. (laughs) I think those are the other movies that have got 9.5s on the show. Those are just movies that I also loved going in. So nostalgia is a real factor. I forgot to warn you, though. um, I usually ask my guests for recommendations at the end of the show. Uh, Since a lot of times we're covering films that are fairly popular, Mm -hmm. I like to pick your brain for maybe something that's a little off the beaten path that you like, that you'd love for more people to check out, maybe. Old or new? Anything. uh, And, you know, it doesn't even have to be related to true romance. You don't have to make any sort of weird connection or anything. It's just, especially since it's your first time, if there's like a movie that you've always sang the praises of that you're like, people should check this out. I'd love to hear if you have one. Um, well, in the genre that we're discussing, one of my favorite movies is Love in a 45. Mm. So if you haven't seen Love in a 45, you should see that. It stars okay. Gil Bellows and, uh, gosh, the lady is such a huge actor now that's in that. But, um, Love in a 45 <laughs> is a really good, um, movie. Uh, I, and I, that sounds like vaguely familiar, but I've definitely never seen it. Uh, Love in a 45? Yeah, look it up. It's pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think of the girl that's in it. She She's super big now. Um, Is it a fairly recent movie? No, it was 90s. Let's see what we got here. Love in 45, and I also enjoy Brick. If you've never seen Brick, that yeah. is a fil- film noir set in high school. Um, it's Ryan Johnson's first film. Yeah. Um, he went on to do big, big things like Star Wars. <laughs> like and shit Star like Wars. <laughs> yeah. Knives out. Uh, <laughs> he knives out, yeah. And so that genre of the detective noir I like a lot. Um, I'm watching a show right now. It's a Spanish show called Control Z okay. on um, Netflix. And it's it's a, uh, in a way, in a way, it's a film noir too. It's like a, I guess I like whodunit mystery kind of films. But this one's a little different. It's, a, it's set in high school and it's a girl trying to find a hacker that's, releasing all these secrets to high school people, which is kind of ironic because I'm way out of high school and I don't speak Spanish, but <laughs> hey, it's man. dubbed. So good stories are good stories. Good stories yeah. are good stories. Yeah. <laughs> plain and simple, but you know, their school structure might look a little different and sure. You know, sure. What, what kids do nowadays versus what I did when I was in high school, the whole technology thing is such a different ball game. So that's kind of yeah. what the, that show's about. Yeah. Uh, Renee Zellwinger is the, that's her. The, that's her. Renee. That mo- this movie looks interesting. I'm putting it on my list for sure. That's oh, you should, super up my alley. You should yeah. watch it. Uh, Rory Cochrane is in it and he is Ooh. by far <laughs> such a good actor. He was in dazing and fused. If you don't know who that is, uh, Control Rory, Z Rory sounds Cochrane. fun too. I, I, I get down on like the, I don't mind like a, younger generation type stuff and I'm, I'm interested in this new approach that we have to have with like tv and film like with evolving technology and stuff like i always think about i find that people a lot of films have been getting set in the past i think almost because we have trouble dealing with the story hurdles and and the specifics of what technology is so it's like if you want to make a heist movie it's like hard to do and set it in a modern era because it would just be people on computers like typing and stuff like well yeah it, yeah it's probably harder to do as an independent film because you have to 
keep that in mind like technology changes the way we do everything yeah. so we have to illustrate it we have to address it otherwise people will be like shit i'll just pick up my cell phone and call leroy and he'll come over and <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean whereas like you can't <laughs> exactly. do that in a 90s movie it's not like that you yeah know? there's so many horror movies that would have been solved by cell phones but it's like <laughs> right yeah exactly you have to get over that hurdle yeah right it's away. Like, the, the amount of like modern film and tv where you have to have a plot point where a character's not getting service or their cell phone isn't working i i was like i i did a cross-country trip once like i live in monroeville indiana and i drove to la and there, it was kind of funny because there were big stretches on that trip where i wouldn't have cell service and i would think to myself like wow this is kind of creepy like if i got stranded right now i'd be kind of fucked i'm not getting a signal and i was like that's kind of good for like a horror movie and then i also kind of burning this idea but it's not like i could film it right now anyway but i i i've had the thought like if i i feel like if you had two characters in the middle of nowhere that accidentally drove into like a lake or something or something got set like a trap and they ended up in the water you could kind of reasonably strand your characters even in modern context and not have them able to get help if you need to although phones are like waterproof now too so i don't even fucking know uh but yeah those are great recommendations um both for me and for anybody listening so i'm excited i I love when people recommend stuff that i haven't seen either because it's exciting to go check that stuff out uh that sounds super up my alley Uh, i gotta see planes trains and automobiles man i gotta cover it for the show for sure it's like that's like what like the quintessential thanksgiving movie i'll have to do it for like november or something i need to time it so it lines up hey if that's one of your favorites maybe i'll have to have you back for it <laughs> yeah i love that movie man it's so good i know um, i need to watch it i've heard so many good things about it people reference it so often uh i'm just like i gotta check it out um yeah. I, I, I blew my recommendation early but i'm just gonna say it again uh, queen and slim uh and fairly slim. recent lovers on the run film uh the it's just good it's just a good movie i love the way it's shot uh, that movie, when I first watched it, I was like, that movie was pretty decent. And I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. It has a lot more depth than I was giving it credit for. And it's such a gorgeous movie. I think it's just so pretty. I, I wish I could just put it on a screen and have it run on a loop in the background. If I had a bar, I would just play that movie on a screen uh, just because it's so pretty <laughs> to look at. Uh, I, I, I really do like that movie a lot. And I, I want more people to see it because I think it kind of, I think it's pretty underrated and it was a little bit underseen. I mean, you said yourself you haven't seen it, so but I'm mean, out. I, I think it's it. because it's an independent movie, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I believe Melina Matsukis uh, is the one who directed it, and she's not terribly well known, but she's so she's directed some pretty big music videos, and you can tell from her aesthetics in the movie. And like I said, Daniel Kaluuya, and I believe it's Jodie Turner Smith is the other lead, but I don't want to be wrong about that. Uh, so I guess I'll use the I'll power power of the internet to well, uh, google that shit i'll try to watch that one um because i did want to see that i saw the trailer and yeah Joe you're Chase absolutely knows. right the cinematography looks pretty good also fleas just in it randomly if you guys if you guys are flea fans oh, that's see him be in a movie <laughs> you yeah. don't even realize it's him because he's so when he's sometimes when he's in movies he just plays like a normal guy and you just he's go, in tons of movies <laughs> yeah and you're just like oh that's just that's just straight up flea <laughs> from right yeah i need to read yeah. his book too i heard he did a autobiography recently and i've heard it's really really good uh because it kind of goes through his insane childhood and like growing up on like the streets and stuff and obviously he's had a crazy life so 
Uh, shout out to Flea. <laughs> Flea. Uh, but last but not least, uh, I'd be remiss if you didn't get a chance to plug some things that you want to plug. Uh, oh, so yeah. Anything you want to plug, where you want to send people, where they can find you. Obviously, Half Dead Fred, people should be trying to find out as much as they possibly can about that. But uh, that and anything else you want to plug, please feel free. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're doing the premiere of Half Dead Fred, uh, August 7th in Flint, Michigan at the Capitol Theater. Uh, it's a pretty big theater. It'll be the red carpet event, all that good stuff. Uh, we're doing a Comic-Con the day before in Flint, Michigan. We're doing oh, a panel. Cool. So that's always fun to see uh, panels at Comic-Con. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. It's uh, Half Dead Fred. And on Facebook, we have a group called Half Dead Fred the Movie, I believe. Um, and you, we also have... In Indiegogo, if you're not familiar with Indiegogo, it's how you raise money nowadays for independent projects. Um, so we have an Indiegogo for the finishing funds for uh, Half Dead Fred. It's already finished, uh, but it, things ta- uh, take a lot of money. They take a lot of money yeah, to make yeah. posters and flyers and T-shirts. Shit ain't and, cheap. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got to pay the sound guy. I still owe him money. Uh, there's a lot of money to be spent on these wonderful movies um of course but i got that i have a tv series called um real acting and that was on amazon but currently it is not on amazon it's just on instagram if you want to follow that is that real r-e-a-l or r-e-a-l yeah r-e-a-l real acting um that's a comedy uh so it's kind of like the office but it's about an acting class ran by a con man and then we got a cop show called uh, The Heat of the Beat, and that's on Instagram, too. So <laughs> we got all kinds of things going you on. You got good names here. for everything. You're definitely good at naming stuff. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, actually, well, you, you're listening to this podcast, but if Jake, if you can look behind me. So if you look behind oh, cool. me, the poster on the wall, that's for season two, the blue one of real acting, where all the characters are as, you know, superheroes. And then on the Left side, that's the heat of the beat, which is. Uh, I was wondering cop, about those posters. Yep. It's all, it all makes sense now. <laughs> all coming together. I have to, I got the Half Dead Fred one. I haven't put it up yet, but we just got oh, those. That's so cool. Back. Yeah, I have a, I do have a poster for the feature film I co directed just sitting in my room. It's not even framed, it's just sitting because I just, I was printing one off for the guy who played the big bad in the film. He had always wanted, we made three posters and he's on two of them and mm-hmm. i finally just like got them printed and gave them to him as a gift and while i was at it i was like i'm gonna get the third poster for myself but I, it just lives like on my desk it's just sitting <laughs> around well, you, you should print is it 36 by 24 uh i think it's a big boy i think it's like 27 yeah. by 40 uh oh, oh that's even bigger yeah yeah um, but th- but those ones, I gotta say, it's a little harder finding a frame for they, those ones. I, I typically at Walmart, they usually have a couple twenty seven by forties. They're just they're thicker. I have a couple because uh, the poster. This will make no sense to anybody, and it's so visual. But um, there's a movie called Miss Forty Five, um, and we did sort of like an homage to Miss Forty Five. Uh, that's the poster that I have, and I also have that Miss Forty Five poster. Uh, which it is in a frame, but the frame's like, uh, it's it's a whole thing. <laughs> I'm like kind of infamous for having a million posters just laying around, but not framed because I don't have wall space in my room because uh, I, I have see. like these weird slanted walls because I, I have the roof right there. 
It's a it's a whole thing. If I ever have my own space, though, there's going to be fucking posters everywhere. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, please, guys, check out uh, all those things. Uh, Heat of the Beat, Real Acting, uh, Half Dead Fred. It's coming out soon. And if a lot of my listeners, I'm pretty sure you're Midwestern based. So maybe even consider going up to the premiere or something, especially if you're based out of Michigan or whatever. Uh, it's probably going to be a fucking blast. And oh yeah it's coming up soon i'll try to make sure i time this episode to come out uh right before the premiere so people can know about it um and man it's exciting I, it's cool that you got so many things going on uh and uh, is is there any like social media of yours that you want people to handle or uh, oh yeah you could i mean if you want to follow me uh i'm just a regular guy so it's not that exciting <laughs> but um i have an instagram called white ninja productions Nice. So I, I I run all these things through White Ninja Productions. If you want to go do that, awesome. Please check him out, cool. guys. Uh, yeah. If you're not already checking him out and you're a fan of his, tuning into this episode. If you're his fan, tuning in and hearing me for the first time, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was listenable. Uh, we got to talk about True Romance. I'm so happy. I I love this movie. Uh, I had a blast talking about it with you. Um, yeah, it was great. I, I don't want to stop, but I probably should. So I guess we should wrap it up. <laughs> but thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, we got we to go do stuff. We got to yeah. go make movies, man. We yeah. got, you got to go finish those five shorts. <laughs> and I got to go do uh, social media marketing. Oh, God. Uh, you know what? Now editing those five shorts doesn't sound so bad as opposed to the social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a chore, but it's got to be done. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a blast. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back soon. Would love to have you for the trains, planes episode and all that stuff. And uh, please guys check him out. That's awesome. going to do it for us here at clear tinted classics. And as I always, unfortunately say at the end of every episode, we will catch you on the flip flop later. Bye guys.